welcome to Wisco Dice. Welcome to Wisco Dice. Hey. Well, hi. Hi. How's okay. it going? Okay. We're doing okay. Yeah. This is the Conesy with the most. Yes. And well, who else the we most anymore? Well, we're still, it's, it's been about the same. I haven't actually dropped much weight in the last few weeks. So you've only dropped, you know, 65 pounds. Um, 69 we were up to. Oh, that's up, that's up from the last time we recorded, I think. Yeah, last it was time 66, said 66. So yeah. I haven't lost a lot. It's been pretty, I've been pretty consistent, but it's... Well, there was a tournament in there. There was so, a tournament and, there was and some other stuff. And, 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 and I didn't have any of the cake. But that is one of the things we're going to talk about today, isn't that? Uh, it is. Um, who, now, we should just go ahead and, and say who's in the studio here today. Oh, that's right. I am PJ Shard, otherwise known as Paul Wagner, otherwise known as at Wisco Dice on Twitter. And of course, you got the Conzi with the most. Yep. I already said that once, but I'm the Conzi with the most miniatures, so. Correct. Let's go ahead then and just do a quick thanks to all of the sponsors of the show. That'd be great. Starting with Misty Mountain Games and Diversions here in Madison, Wisconsin, and the official 2012 location for Mary, Mary Mayhem. Mayhem. Which is currently sold out for Warhammer Fantasy, but please, if you're interested or you're thinking about going, get on the wait list. Mm-hmm. The event right now, I'm not sure. We may end up actually freeing up even more table space, pending on what's going on with one of the other events that's happening on the same day. So definitely, if you're still on the maybe on getting into this, mm-hmm. yeah, sure, you missed you missed the payment and the wait deadlines, but still, $20, you get lunch, which is an all-you-can-eat lunch. Yeah, it's a you great get, lunch. You get three great games of Warhammer. Mm-hmm. You're going to get chance to get in and be participant of the big raffle which there's crazy stuff that we're giving away like a, a whole army a whole Whoa. army of the warriors of chaos army but also including some great terrain from advanced terrain mm-hmm. advanced terrains makes terrain out of these rubber they're basically rubber molds they're very similar there's a lot of similarities to you can all you can kind of see where the, there was a lot of hearst hearst arts inspiration mm-hmm. the terrain is all this rubber product that's really durable yeah i'm gonna say it's a lot more durable than most of the resin and plaster that i've seen out of this hearse art stuff and it looks really really nice it's already made yeah into there's these there's some addition stuff you. yeah very there's, very cool there's additional like rubble and sand and mm-hmm. stuff that, that was obviously designed as part of the mold mm-hmm. and or some other designs to help help add the add to it so i want to definitely give out their uh an official sponsor of mary mayhem this year and, and a shout out sponsor this time we wanted to be able to let everybody know you can go ahead and go to advancedterrain.com and pick up all of the stuff that you want and if you're curious about mm-hmm. it definitely you'll be able to see it play it. it'll be on one of the tables at mary mayhem Correct. and it, it's all of the stuff will be that we're using from advanced terrain will be given away as part of the raffle and one last note on Mary Mayhem, just think about it. This is the last tournament you're going to be able to go to before the holidays, which means if you're planning on going to anything between now and Wapaka, this is pretty much it. So come on well, down and throw down. It's the last Mayhem before the end of the world. So. Exactly. So nothing is going to be happening. I was actually at Messy Mountain Games this morning. They had a huge magic tournament going on. They already had a bunch of people there at 9 a.m. So they have a lot of stuff going on there, magic being one of them, Pokemon, miniatures, everything you can imagine. Yep. And a great gaming space. You get, of course, and we got the other, the West Side, the West Side store, the last square, West the, the, the last who, the, the last, last round, circle, the last triangle. Nope, it's oh. definitely the last square. You got yes. to hear from Carl on the last episode. And Correct. Last square's got everything you possibly want. You from can go to the last trains, everything. Yep. You can go to thelastsquare.com. There's mm-hmm. discounts. It's like 20% off the GW product online. You just Absolutely. Obviously, due to some licensing, whatever, they can't list GW products. You have mm-hmm. to give them a call and let them know what you want. But Correct 20% window. off all that stuff, It's you just can't beat it. And then, of course, we've got Prism Gaming. Yes, Prism Gaming. 
huge paint line. I can't say enough about their paint line. I'm actually mm-hmm. using it. If you see the pictures of my War Sphinx I put up on our on the Wisco Dice Facebook feed and the Twitter feed, you can see the blues, that blues that I'm using for the stone. That's all Prism Gaming paint. That's 110% Prism Gaming paint. It's one of the first first projects, first things. This model will probably be almost entirely Prism Gaming paints. Very, very cool. So very little mixed out of the out of the, some of the older stuff that I have laying around. And I've also been using the Prism Gaming paints as well for my display board for my Tree of Woe, which I did end up getting finished. So we'll be talking about that a little bit later as well. All right. Then you've got, of course, the WWHFB, the Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League. Was that the Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League? It is. All right. Look at it at WWHFB.com? Yes. And it is the oldest Warhammer Fantasy gaming club in the state of Wisconsin. So Done and done. They definitely got your hookup. Almost anywhere in the state, looking for a game, go there and make a post on the forums. People will respond and let you know who to get a hold of or where to go play. Well, that sounds awesome. So, what have we been doing this week, Ben? How about you? Let's start with you. Uh, we obviously, we're at the North Star GT. North Star! So, we're going to go ahead and talk about that later. Obviously, I'm in the middle of working on an army, so we're also going to talk about, later in the show, we'll talk about things that we, things that one can do when they're making purchasing and army decisions. Mm-hmm. But as far as what I've actually accomplished in the hobby, I've done a lot of terrain work. I'm getting all of my like Storm of Magic pieces of terrain I've got primed up and ready to go. Nice. That's going to be a table at Mayhem. I've got just finishing up some other GW buildings that I've got for Mayhem and mm-hmm. I've got pretty quick here I'm going to have a really cool like Mines of Moria table and a really cool high elf board that I'm going to have to paint up from Terrainaholics. Awesome. So those are going to be really cool to have, and those are going to be projects I have to get done. It's going to be a very busy turkey day uh, holiday (laughs) for me next week. You might not be able to eat that much turkey. That's okay. I don't have any turkey. I don't think I'm going to eat anywhere anyways. All right. Well, that sounds good. Obviously, I finished up, as far as painting projects, I finished up the chariots finally yeah oh my god i was so thankful to get those (laughs) off the table yeah you went to north star you played your dark elves and you were like i have no impetus to play before we went to north star afterwards you're like i gotta get these stupid things finished there is a there is certainly a definitive like oh about playing an army (laughs) that you're not like i'm not i love my dark elves don't get me wrong but i i just my heart wasn't in playing them yes so because I've been I've been really excited about this Tomb King project, and it's been making progress. I mean, obviously, I'm eight models down of a 40-model list at 2,000 points, so uh-huh. I'm almost 25% done. <laughs> so there's a it, – it, yeah, it was uh, nice to finally get those three models off the table. And I, as soon as Mayhem's done, I'll be able to dedicate a lot more of my hobby time instead of, like, trying to check army lists mm-hmm. and – and work on terrain and those kind of things and get the packets together and stuff. I'll be able to pump out some more work on those, some more dedicated work. So hopefully we'll start seeing those move along a little more quickly. Very, very cool. And you started working on your Sphinx as well. Yeah, you were I talking did, about that I a little bit earlier. I did get the War Sphinx done, started. Did you I've, get the basing done on that yet or no? The basing is not entirely done. Okay. It started. I've got it start I've got the base started. It's got the base coat brown on it, but yeah. it hasn't I haven't worked it up any further. I wanted to somewhere between getting the I want to get the base coats for the golds and the stone color, the stone the blue the blues that I'm doing for the stone. I want to have those pretty much done. Yeah. 
and then I want to get the basing done, and then I'll be able to glue the Sphinx right to the base, mm-hmm. which will be nice for at least then I'll be able to get it to the tabletop that way. With right now, it's just an empty base on the table when we're playing games, and that just sucks. Yeah, <laughs> it's not fun, but fair enough. All right, cool. I actually got some hobby done as well. Amazingly, accidents happen. Yeah, so I ended up finishing up my tree of woe. I have been working on that in my class. I got it fired. I got a, a decent amount of paint on it last week, and I ended up finishing it up this week. I'm really, really happy with it. I was really kind of stuck after last week. I was not happy with how bright the tree itself was. I've painted this very bright orange and white fungus on it that looks really, really nice, but the rest of the piece just didn't seem to attract the eye at all. And I was talking with Ben at Northstar, and he was telling me, well, you should just put some gray on there, and that'll really bring it up. And he was absolutely correct. I put a little bit of gray dry brush on there, and it really brought up the detail, and it brought up the highlights to the point where that orange and white wasn't just, like, distracting you from the rest of the tree. And I'm really, really satisfied with it. I ended up reading an article. They did a painting guide for the new 40K trenches that they put out, and they were just showing dry brushing and it worked really, really nice. And that kind of got me over the hump of saying, well, this isn't a miniature. This is a piece of terrain. I don't want it to detract from the other miniatures that are on the table. So dry brushing would actually be a great way to achieve a nice finish and not detract from the other miniatures on the table. When working on terrain, the fine details are never as critical Mm -hmm. because you have, there's usually you're dealing with much larger surface areas so Correct. you can get away with, especially like trees, you got tree bark. It's a really mm-hmm. ideal surface for dry brushing. Mm-hmm. When you look at a tree in nature, you know, we talked about that. When you look at a tree in nature, you, it's not just a, the trunk and the branches aren't just brown. Yes. There's usually some variant of grays. The natural tones tend to be more muted brown, mm-hmm. gray, and then you get your growths of life on it with your greens and whatever. So... That's kind of the the big thing, and that's what we talked about. And yeah, that's mm-hmm. it. Definitely uh, seeing the new latest pictures of it, it definitely looks like it's much better. Still mm-hmm. needs something to go underneath it for a base, but I definitely agree with you on that. But we'll get to that. And then also, what else did I work on? Oh, I I started repainting Stompy. I went to North Star, played with them, had a good time, but I'm just a little tired of playing with a model that I painted two three years ago that doesn't look nearly as nice as I could make it look. So I'm starting the repainting process for the mammoth. And I also removed the howdah off the back of it as well. Since there's now three options, when I bought the model, there was only one option for fielding it. And now there are three. So I'm going to have the mammoth available with just the mammoth. I'm going to probably end up magnetizing the howdah, and then I'm going to buy a war altar that I can put on the back of it as well. So I can field all three options. Okay, so I think that kind of covers what we've done in the hobby. Did you Have you played any Warhammer other than what we'd played at the North Star or... I did actually end up getting a game in. I played 1,500 points versus Dustin, and he was playing his demons. And I was playing my VC. And it was a pretty fun game. I didn't really get much in, (laughs) but it was fun playing. And I enjoyed playing just kind of a fun game that wasn't a tournament list. It was just a nice, fluffy, this is kind of fun game. And he ended up winning. It was a pretty close game, but he ended up being able to draw me out of the watchtower. And that was the scenario because he had Siren Song and I couldn't get back in the Watchtower. It wasn't that I couldn't defeat the unit, I just literally couldn't get back in with the amount of movement that I had left in the end, before the game ended. So, But it was a great, fun time, and I really enjoyed it. I've gotten two games outside of the North Star games, that, and, and my first game was against Jacob 
1500 points and we were doing while it's 1500 points we picked one of the mary mayhem scenarios perfect tree which yeah. is a staple of mayhem and has been for years and basically the idea of the scenario is in the very center of the board there's a tree imagine that it's still this year the the scenario is win the win loss draw is based on victory points mm-hmm. and then the there's a major and minor objective the major objective is whoever has the most fortitude points within 12 inches of the tree that's in the center of the board mm-hmm. gets the major objective and the minor objective is if you destroy two or more of the opponent's fortitude points mm-hmm. so there's definitely working in fortitude to to hit play a role but not to like if if you're fortitude weak, you can still compete and play well in this scenario. You're just throwing away basically three bonus points. Mm-hmm. At least I should say not even three. You're throwing away two bonus points because if you don't get, I mean, if you can still score killing two of your opponent's fortitude points, you can mm-hmm. still score that one. You can get the you know major objective. So it gives it gives uh, everybody a chance. You don't have this uh, whole eh, about. Uh, I'm playing Wood Elves, or I'm playing this, and I don't have like my Tomb Kings. I don't have any fortitude points really, so yeah, it's kind of a struggle. No, there's none of that. So we played. I, if I remember right, I did pretty well. I got the major, and I got a min- I got the minor objective in this game mm-hmm. with my Tomb Kings versus his vampire counts. It was a lot of fun for me, anyways. <laughs> I think Jacob <laughs> Jacob was probably a little frustrated with the three War Sphinxes, <laughs> but it's what I'm doing. I mean, it's Really, really pretty much what I was doing. The casket was amazing. I got four out of five Blood Knights with the casket, which was keeks. If those Blood Knights would have been available too, because they were in position to run down my uh, archers with Mm -hmm. my Tomb Prince and my Hierophant, Mm -hmm. which is like most of my Fortitude points, which is obviously my Hierophant. Yeah. And then sets them up to get my casket. And I was able to get the last... The last Blood Knight with Archer shots, so that was <laughs> that was kind of a, a highlight and probably the biggest thing for me in that game. And of course, he's been playing with the Coven Throne too, so mm-hmm. you know, Coven Throne's not that great, but it's pretty model. It's it's it is pretty model, and it's it's definitely a fun model to play against. So it was a, a nice, interesting kind of almost gimmick list versus gimmick list. Mm-hmm. Then I played against Robert this week with against his Lizardmen. We played the Isle of Misfit Toys, and Robert had a, a life slot with a te- unit of like 20 Temple Guard, That's right. another unit of Saurus, <laughs> a bunch of Salamanders. Looking at the matchup, I'm like, hmm, yeah, well, I can- actually, I mitigate the Salamanders quite a bit because I only have one infantry unit. Mm-hmm. Everything else is tough four or five, well, you at can't least. Panic, you, know. you know, I don't run away. Yeah, I'm kind of slow, but the Isle-, the Isle of Misfit Toys, though, anyways... This scenario, we set up like the dawn attack, mm-hmm. and then after setup, but before you do vanguard moves, each player rolls a d3 plus one, and that's the number of objective tokens you generate. We call them, yeah. all right, they're called gift tokens. And you have to put these one at a time, taking turns. Mm-hmm. You put them on the opposing opponent's half of the board. Yeah. So you can kind of put them in places like, hmm, well, I want them to be in places where my opponent has to maybe come towards me. So I'll t- I'll try to get him to come out. Yeah. Or I'll try to put them, maybe I'll just, uh, I am not. I'm, I don't want to come out, I want to play defensive, so I put them way in the far corners or something. You have a lot of options to where you want to put your tokens. Yeah. You do have to put a token in each table quarter 
on your opponent's half the board. There is that restriction, and you can't put these tokens within 12 inches of each other. And then the, there's the major miter objectives. Obviously, the scenario still is win-loss draw, victory points. Mm-hmm. But then you have the major objective is trying to obtain the most objectives and you can to control an objective you got to be within i think it's six inches with a unit with fortitude and none of your opponent's units with fortitude within Mm -hmm. six inches of an objective marker yeah so there's that challenge and then on top of that you have obviously the minor objective is then just controlling two table or controlling more table quarters than your opponent you just need to have fortitude so in this scenario you are in order to get objective points you have to have fortitude but you can still get that win loss draw condition which the most of the points Mm -hmm. without having to worry about it which is another one of those things i wanted to make fortitude important in mayhem this year but i didn't want it to be like okay well sorry you can't win what elf. You can't win Tomb King pl- guy that didn't take any banners. Mm-hmm. You didn't win too bad vampire counts. You took a big unit of ghouls and a bunch of Strigoi themed stuff, so you don't have banners. No, I didn't. I wanted people to be able to play that and feel like they still weren't losing out on a lot because they did, mm-hmm. but still make bringing the importance. I think fortitude is one of the best things in eighth ed. People having units with banners and stuff. It's great for the aesthetic in the game. So I wanted to have that there. And not that I'm getting off on a little tangent, but this game, Robert decided he was going to play for the objectives. And mm-hmm. so he decided, he you know, with the way things were kind of lined up, I had my three War Sphinxes all kind of to, to the right side-ish of my line. And I'm Tomb Kings. So I'm slower than Dickens. Yeah. So he's kind of like, well, I'll just bookie. I'll just take my Saurus units and book to the left. To the, uh, yeah. would have been my yeah. left. Yeah. yeah. Slowly, the War Sphinxes, he was just like this tide of War Sphinxes, just slowly <laughs> trudging across the board. And I was able to, at one point, pin his, well, his Slon miscast, and he was uh, two plus <laughs> to ignore it with the Throne of Vines up. Oh, man. Fails his two plus, gets a seven, strength 10 to everything in base contact with the Slon. So he does a huge damage to the, to the Slon unit, to the Temple Guard. Yep. And then I'm able to charge them with the Necro Knights in the flank. Because he's trying to walk this this unit across the board <laughs> away from me, and because I got that flank charge, I was able to pin him in place long enough to be able to ram a sphinx in the rear, and just grind the unit to death. And I finally, on like it was at the bottom of five, I got a killing a killing blow on his salon from I think the sphinx crew, uh-huh. and he failed the ward save. Whoop, salon gone, temple guard gone. Boom, Gonzi wins. Game over. Yeah. So that was, I don't think in a normal straight up fight, if he would have played that more towards victory points, I don't know how well I would have done. How did you attack the Slon? Was he in the front rank? I killed the Temple Guard because he he had lost so many Temple Guard, and then the Necro Knights had ground the Temple Guard for a couple of rounds of combat. There just wasn't any, he had to step up. Ah. Uh, he was no place else for, he could, there was no, there wasn't enough guys for him to hide behind anymore. Wow. He was down to like, at that point, he was down to like four Temple Guard left. Okay. At that point, he had to. There was no place else for him to be but in the front rank, because there were no other ranks. Well, that's no fun. Yeah, it was fun for me. Yeah. Plus, I when I originally charged in, I had hit hit the slon in the rear. Ah. And or hit the unit in the rear, and I had disintegrated it to the point where the old, where I had to be in contact. Ah. Like the first round, I couldn't be. There was enough Saurus to keep him from me from being in contact. But at the end of the combat, on that first round of combat, I was in contact with the Slon with the War Sphinx. Fair That's enough. how I got it. Cool. So that was that was both games were a lot of fun. I 
I've had, I got to, I can't say, I mean, this is, this is one of those things. I, I, I really have been having a lot of fun with the, with the Tomb Kings. Mm-hmm. I don't have any delusions that my Tomb <laughs> Kings are a top table type army. Yeah. No delusions at all, but they are tons of fun. And the models that I'm completing look really sharp. They're some of the better models out of the whole. They're probably not the best models I've ever painted, mm-hmm. but they're better models as a whole as, so far as a unified army of what I've got completed, yeah, better than anything else I've completed as an army and a whole. Fair so enough. I'm really excited to, f- to keep plugging away at that project. Very cool. Awesome models you might have missed. Alrighty. Today we're going to talk about Kev Adams Gobbos. That's kind of an odd title, but... It basically comes down to Kev Adams is a sculptor, and he worked on all the goblins in the fifth edition of Warhammer Fantasy. If you remember all those metal goblins, the fanatics, all that kind of stuff, they're very, very full of character. They've got proportionally large heads, and most of them are metal. And if you're buying the old squig herders, all that kind of stuff. He definitely sculpted a very specific style of goblin, and he also put a huge amount of character into all of his sculpts. Well, Kev Adams is no longer sculpting for Games Workshop that I'm aware of. However, he is still sculpting that same style of goblin. So, if you are looking for a fifth-ed goblin, you're going to be able to find a huge range available from Kev Adams. Now, the difficulty with his miniatures lies in the fact that I can't find a good web store to buy them from. I was able to find one website called Crooked Clock that you email him and he'll send you a price and then you pay him and definitely not your traditional web store. He used to have an actual full store and there was a full range, but of course the really nice thing about eBay is that even if you can't find them in a store, you'll be able to find them on eBay. And he had just has a huge range, and he just kept sculpting Gabos for the entire period after he was done with Games Workshop. Ben, you've seen a couple of these miniatures. Would you agree that they look very, very much identical to these 5th Ed I, I, don't, they, I don't know if they're quite identical, but they're definitely in the same theme and, and mm-hmm. feel. Uh, it's hard to tell from pictures what the scale is, mm-hmm. but I, I definitely for like especially like common goblins, mm-hmm. I could really see using a lot of these guys filling out your common goblins. Mm-hmm. The wolf riders that he's got there look really sharp. They're mm-hmm. they're pretty decent wolves. He's got them on. The they look a little small, but then again, with all the scale creep we've seen in recent years in in Warhammer, yeah, that. That doesn't seem like a big deal to me, especially if the you know they're goblins. They're they're not really good. So if they were on a little bit smaller wolves or smaller look like a little more more like big dogs, mm-hmm. I'd be okay with that. That'd be really. I think that fits the army. Well, they, I also saw a decent little group of them with some fur on that crooked claw miniatures. So they look far more like nomads than a typical games workshop goblin would. I thought those looked really really nice, and he does some alternative themes as well with those goblins. So. If you're interested in these fifth ed goblins, I've talked to a couple people that said that they've been like, oh, I've been scouring eBay for these fifth ed gobbos. Well, Kev Adams gobbos are basically the same thing, and you can even find a couple of different other themes and definitely a lot of different alternative sculpts as well. So go ahead and check those out. 
Yep, they definitely fit right in with the with your existing Goblin lines. I think they fit perfectly with the current GW lines. Mm-hmm. You use less plastics and more of those, perfect. So check right. them out. There you go. Those are the awesome models you might have missed for this week. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we'll go ahead and talk about some Warhammer stuff. Warhammer! Are you tired of playing the same group of guys in your basement every week? Check out the WWHFB, Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League. Check it out at WWHFB.com with regions in Madison, Milwaukee, Stevens, Point, and La Crosse. Anywhere in Wisconsin, you're going to find somebody to play. WWHFB.com. Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League. All right, we're back. We are back from our space. Singing is not allowed from you on the show. We're going to talk about buying an army. Kind of a first-time buyer. You know, you got your first-time buyer's guide for buying a home. We're going to try and do a little bit of a first-time buyer's guide for buying an army. So we're going to kind of start out very, very simplistically. Number one, how do you figure out which army you're going to buy? As a first-time purchaser, I, I would always advise someone that's going to buy, buying their first army to buy the army that they feel is the most attractive to their personal aesthetics, whatever they think looks the best. Mm-hmm. I think purchasing anything else than that, other than that tends to get you something. Like if you try to pick something because, they, because your buddy said it was really good or you pick something that you the internet told you was good, you tend to get you may get a b- pile of models that you're not, either not motivated to paint mm-hmm. or... Heaven forbid, six months from now, you decide eh, Warhammer wasn't for me. You're stuck with a bunch of models that either you get a really reduced cost for trying to sell them off, mm-hmm. or you are stuck with, you put them in a box and hide them forever. Whereas if you pick an army that you like, if you like the looks of, at the worst case scenario, worst case scenario, you've got a bunch of models that you can put on a shelf somewhere and people can come over and look at look at and look say, hey, they look cool. And you can still feel proud about at least having a bunch of models that you think look cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's my big number one purchasing advice thing that I would have. I would also try to pick something. Nowadays, I would try to pick something that also works maybe in your D&D game or works in maybe your, and when I say D&D, I mean Dungeons and Dragons, or maybe works in Kings of War. Mm-hmm. So pick something that, so that you get multiple overlaps of usages out of the same models you're purchasing. Yeah, I, I really like Warhammer. Ben really likes Warhammer, but we both are mature enough to understand that not everybody likes the way that Warhammer plays, and not everybody likes the way that Warhammer looks on the table. So we would like you to kind of find something that, like Ben said, you really like. But I think part of that, to me at least, is understanding the background a little bit. So Ben had mentioned off-air that we really want to kind of get you into the local gaming group when you start having these questions about which army you want to buy. And one of the main reasons that I would think that that would be important is that if you find an army that you like, maybe ask somebody if you can borrow an army book for a week. So you can kind of read through it, read the background, see if you like the background, see if you like the character of the army, and then like the miniatures, and then return it to the person and help you to make a more informed decision about which army it is you want to buy. There is a lot of, I mean, certainly from the from the story and the fluff angle, you can you can make a decision. I personally, I, I think that's the the last thing I tell somebody to turn to when they're trying to make a decision, because that's, in all honesty, 
the when you're looking at purchasing a, a Warhammer army isn't cheap. So from a, a practicality standpoint, I mean, there is there is fluff and story. And there are gamers that are really into that part of it and don't care what the models look like. But usually 90% of you guys out there, I think, purchase a Warhammer army first because it looks really cool. Mm-hmm. And then I mean, I mean, that's why we're wargaming, right? It's because we love the way it looks on the table. Yeah. And second, because of whatever set of rules or or mechanics worked behind their army because mm-hmm. in all honesty most people don't like to lose at least not all the time <laughs> finally there is the story i guess there is a story arc that you could use for purchasing decisions but i i don't find most people that i've brought into the game that's usually the last thing on their on their mind mm-hmm. because the it, it is there it is a very Big game with a lot of options, and that is when I guess in my, in my experience when I brought in new players into the game, it's always a challenge for those new players to one get a handle on the rules mm-hmm. and how things actually work, yeah, and then two to get a feel for what their army does. And there's a huge learning curve when you start the game from just getting to know the rules to being able to get to where I can completely anticipate what my stuff does. Mm-hmm. And then finally where they can start anticipating and understanding what your opponent's stuff does enough to be able to make decisions off of what you think their stuff might do. So when it, when coming to buying an army, I think the, the, it is good, though. If you can get into a local group or a local meta, you can, one, you can, you can borrow materials most likely mm-hmm. from somebody to maybe, I'm really interested in this game. Uh, can I borrow an army so I can start to learn the basic rules? Mm-hmm. But also, yeah, I can borrow that army book, maybe look at some of the fluff, and also look at the pictures that are, more importantly, it's usually looking at the pictures that are in that book to make that purchasing decision. It's one of the reasons I I know we had a, a big talk about White Dwarf <laughs> recently, but that is one of the reasons I think White Dwarf is very good for new players is because there are a lot of pictures mm-hmm. in the in the magazine that show what the game is, and there's a reason why they do that. It's because new players they need to be able to see it, they need to be able to visualize, and that's an excellent media for them to use to to get that that, that aesthetic because that's the first thing that catches when we're wargaming. That's the first thing. So definitely uh, from a new player perspective, pick an army that you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be my advice. Pick an army that you like the aesthetic of first. We're at this point, we're going to kind of assume, based on that little discussion, that you've decided on an army that you want to buy. Yep. My first step would be, personally, I would go buy the army book. Because I want to figure out what it is that I want to buy. And there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. Uh, ben, for example, you could go about and decide that you want to build the prettiest models in the range. And you're just going to buy those. Easily, I think you could run into the situation where you end up with bunch of miniatures that actually aren't legal to play a game of warhammer with is that a fair statement yeah that's pretty fair so i would try and figure out number one what it is that i want to play buy the book and then start figuring out a list for me that's always how i buy a new army i figure out the list that i want to play and then i start buying models to fit that list ben you might not be the same way not only am I this, not the same way, but just thinking from it from a new player perspective, mm-hmm. buying a rule book that's forty some dollars 
isn't necessarily – that. that's a big demotivator, I think, in my book. The biggest hook for new players or somebody that's new to getting started – um, particularly when we're talking the price, the price tags we're, we're talking about when you're talking three or four hundred dollars to buy an army from beginning to end, usually minimum, is when I say buying an army, I'm building. Talk, we're talking building to two thousand or twenty four hundred points. Is that it's it's a big challenge to oh hey well now I just dropped forty dollars on a rule book. Mm-hmm. Well, what do I have to show for it? I have a forty dollar rule book. Now, how do I understand how to build an army out of that book? Well, especially if it's one of the older army books that doesn't have current, the current core special rare rules. Mm-hmm. Um, they have the old, they have the old seventh ed rules for building an army. And I don't even have, I still don't have the right rules to build, build an army in. So all of a sudden now I'm looking, well, I got to buy another $75 rule book. And still, what do I have to show for it? I have no models to put on the table. That's kind of demotivating. So I usually, uh, dealing with new army builds, let's get it. Again, this goes into you've played with that local group maybe for a little bit, mm-hmm. gotten some practice games in with somebody else's models, or even even if you had to, to use some cardboard chits or whatever. So you have an idea of the mechanics. You can start making an educated decision off of what you're purchasing. But then you've got to talk, to talk to people, whether those people are on the Internet, whether those people are part of your local gaming group, mm-hmm. whether those people are you're just finding a podcast where they did an army book review and talked about the units and and maybe some of their thoughts on the army builds and such, those are the things that I think you you want to do to get your education. Buying the army book and having the rules for the unit specifically is is going to be a big one, and you want to do that early in your army purchasing uh-huh. but i think uh once you've made that commitment in deciding what army you're going to play i think that the next the first purchasing decision i would advise is you, you know, i mean games workshop makes it pretty easy they have a large a large bun- a large set of unit boxes that are regiment boxes that are in the plastic range they're in the like 35 dollar price range in the u.s that you can go out and purchase that they contain a Almost all of them are core infantry type troop choices, and you can pick up a box or two of those and start building. Or, or, or even better, if you can swing it for your first purchase, you go out and you buy a battalion for your army. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes, either the battalion or the box first box or two of troops, all of a sudden now I've got models, and I've got more that I can do than just reading. Mm-hmm. I can start assembling, and I can start getting... Because once I start getting models, I start getting more and more excited about the project. Okay, and I start, and then I start to realize: Is this really for me? The building and, and hobby perspective is this really something I really want to put the time towards to do? And most people, when they they get a unit or two painted up and or assembled, they start feeling the they feel proud and they feel the reward of doing that project, and then keep going a little bit further. So, from a new player perspective, trying to bring somebody new into the hobby, that's something that I like to try to focus them towards, rather than worrying about the rules. You can always go when you get down to your local game store, get help with the rules. You could talk, or you can find somebody that you can find a list, whether it's on the internet or whether your local buddy helped you with, mm-hmm. to help you get started with getting that portion of it. So you can kind of put that off. I mean, now if yeah, if you were by yourself and you were the only person that you had to make that decision, mm-hmm. then yeah, you might want to get the rules first. So maybe I can pull a little bit of of information out of what you just said and just kind of highlight it a little bit. For me, it sounds like what you're saying is the most reward that you get is by buying, be it 20 miniatures, 5 miniatures, whatever, or a battalion, and getting it to the finished product. 
it's not necessarily getting to the finished product. It's getting that, especially for a new player, that's a challenge of of doing. I mean, this we're playing a miniatures war game, right? Yep. And so, what's what's the thing you want to do? You want to play with miniatures. Want to play with miniatures? Well, don't want to start with rule books, right? You want to start with miniatures. That's just kind of my my line of thinking. Let's get them hooked on the mini. Let's get hooked on the miniatures. Even even for me personally, when I'm building a new army, let me get hooked on the miniatures, and then I can make a decision on whether I really like the arm, like the miniatures, mm-hmm. and is it worth dropping the forty dollars now on the on the army book so that I can have it to go with my miniatures I bought? Because if I get if I get the first box of miniatures and I'm putting them together and I'm realizing like, oh my god, these guys are a pain in the neck, or I'm starting to do the little bit of the you know initial test paint jobs and stuff. And it's just like uh, I'm just not feeling it. Mm-hmm. That can kind of save me a whole huge investment on a, uh, on an army rather than going on, or you know, an investment of forty dollars for an army book. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of more along the lines of what I'm trying to say. Okay, do the hobby first, then worry about the rules. That's that's my line of thoughts. I mean, obviously, your line of thoughts a little bit different in 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 the rules regard, but I think that goes to show also like you build. Very specific to I'm going to build a complete list. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna point it out in the army book, Correct. and then I'm gonna go figure out how to put it on the table, mm-hmm. and then I put it on the table. And, and I don't. And, and having worked with a lot of new players, new players certainly don't. From where they start and where they end, mm-hmm. usually ends up being two different places. Yeah, because usually where they start is is that buddy list or that internet list, and by the time they're done, that list has been changed and customized significantly and or in model types that they've decided as they've grown and figured out the game and figured out how things work and figure out what works for them and what mm-hmm. they like to put on the table. So that's a that's a big a big transition for somebody that's new. Certainly I for me too, I, I can't I could take an internet list mm-hmm. and well, I have in the past and it, and it just doesn't seem to it, there are things in it that maybe I don't agree with or they don't work quite right my local meta and the guys i'm playing against so i need to swap out and change things so it sounds like what you're saying is you should play into your list you should start playing with these models figure out what you like and then work on from there yes and that's where i come into get you get you hooked with the models first Mm -hmm. because you can work the rules in with like the local guys in your group that you're playing with down to the store Mm -hmm. and you can work the rules in especially from new and a lot of times too when you're look, working at like the, the, the battalion level, mm-hmm. if you put a battalion worth of models on the board and your buddy puts a battalion models on the board and you play a game mm-hmm. using just what's maybe listed in the back end of the Warhammer rulebook, mm-hmm. the game's not so far off of points that you probably aren't going to have a bad time. It's going to be fun. But then when you start getting to more models than that then you start going oh well i'd like to have some more advanced rules how do these what are the actual rules maybe what are, what's a little bit more of the actual rule mm-hmm. what are the special rules that maybe this unit of white lions has that's not included in the back of my warhammer rule book mm-hmm. and now i start adding those additional components into my game so it's a good from a learning and starting mm-hmm. perspective as well well and i think that's also a perspective that a lot of more experienced gamers can miss is that if you buy for example the island of blood starter set you're going to have some roughly balanced armies, especially if you don't use any of the special rules in the army books, if you don't use any of the special items. If you don't build a list, you just use what's in the box. It's a roughly balanced game. 
And I could easily see two players buying that box, splitting the armies, and having a great time just playing with those two lists. What we usually talk about when we're talking about experienced players on the internet, on Twitter, on podcasts, whatever, is we're usually talking about players that go to tournaments, players that are very, very serious about the rules of the game itself. And that's something that's not necessarily for every gamer. Now, be aware that Ben and I are always going to be talking from that perspective. We love playing in tournaments. We love hanging out with the guys who play in tournaments. But there is a section of the market out there that really is just about playing games, having a good time, not caring if you're going to win or lose, but just going to play to have fun. That's something that we probably don't have that much experience with because we are such tournament-oriented gamers. Yeah, well, there's, there's definitely a casual component uh-huh. and casual play that, that's still in both of our games, I think. For me, the highlight of that would be, for example, playing a 15,000-point game like I played with Sean Carreros in Milwaukee. That, to me, is the exact opposite almost of what playing in a tournament is. We both built our list to around 15,000 points. I think we were off by like maybe you know 100 or 200 points between the two of us. But it literally was just get every miniature out of your collection that you can field in this army, put it on the table, and let's just throw down. And it really didn't matter if we were exactly right. It really didn't matter if we played the rules exactly correctly because we were really just there to play with our models, have a good time, and get a game in. And that's a different perspective from playing a tournament game. It's not necessarily a bad perspective, but... If you look at the way that Warhammer is built, it's not necessarily the way that the rulebooks out, lay out the game. It's the way that Games Workshop sometimes presents the game to be played as a beer and pretzels game, but it's not what they've set out the rules to achieve. That's something to keep in mind as well. Even if you're not necessarily in for the tournament scene, maybe it's something that you could get just with a couple of games with your friend, playing back and forth and having a good time. But as I said before, I don't think we're the right people necessarily to talk about to get that kind of a gaming group started well it's i i I don't know i mean it 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 does go back and i i have worked with a lot of people from from getting them i i was an outrider back in the day when they still Mm -hmm. had the outrider program and it was one of the things that i have to work with new players and try to work them up And, and it's the same working with a new player and getting them up to speed so they can play games is very much in the same kind of Let's play for fun. Mm-hmm. Let's okay. What what do I need? What do I absolutely need to have and to be able to put some miniatures on the table and throw down and build that initial those initial lists and that kind of fun that you had when you were building your initial lists and then capture that. Like, oh hey, we play a half dozen games a year. Well, okay, Great. I don't need <laughs> maybe I don't need that army book because I'm just going to open up the back of the Warhammer rule book and I've got the units there and the mm-hmm. points for them there and. And that's pretty much what we're going to do. There is a huge opportunity there in, in the list building perspective. And, and in starting out, that's one of the reasons why I say, like, let's worry about doing what's fun first, which the models is the fun part. You know, rules are rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, models are fun. And or that's I mean, that's why we're miniatures gamers. So mm-hmm. start by getting models is my, is my advice. Start by getting models that you like the look of. And... Work with try to hook up with somebody locally at your local game store to help you with the understand the the how the game works, and then you can go to starting to play, looking at maybe the internet for additional mm-hmm. you know when you start getting into like okay I have some models I have that battalion mm-hmm. I have two or three regiment boxes now I have enough stuff where I feel like I have I'm starting to feel like I have 
models, I really like, okay, now I need to start sweating that next decision. Yeah. Now I want to start getting that army book in there. I want to start looking at the internet and I want to start getting some, some real decision making. Where do I want to go with these models? And that's where I think the list building, at least in my, for me, uh-huh. that's really where list building comes into play is that now that I have two or three regiments of, of units or two, mm-hmm. or two or three units of guys, where do I want to take this next? Mm-hmm. And I would like to have one last word of caution about army lists. When you go on the internet, you can always find people that are like, this list is the best list. You know, it might be like tech list with the world dragon and you need a Phoenix guard or, you know, you can find all different kinds of examples of these. This is the only way you can play this army and this is the best list and this is the one that wins tournaments. And I would just throw a word of caution in there that those might not be the best lists for a beginner. Frankly, some of them might be too complicated. There's a lot of synergy that might be involved. Or at the end of the day, some of those are very much a one-trick pony army. And if your one trick doesn't work, you're going to lose. And sometimes experience can play into that, but other times it's just the way that the list is built. And even an experienced player is going to run into times when the list doesn't work perfectly. And so I would caution against doing a power list from the internet as your first army, because that's something that even if you are going to be an uber competitive player, which is fine, you really want to make sure that you can play into that list a little bit and understand how the game works in order to utilize the synergy that's built into those lists. This is just understanding the, how the how the, the game works, but like I, like I kind of said before, you can go out and grab a, grab a list off the internet, uh-huh. and then you go down and you start playing your local game store, and you start, getting, you, you start losing a bunch, or you start mm-hmm. finding out that it doesn't really work mm-hmm. the way you need it to because your local group of guys mm-hmm. don't play... Some of the key armies that those that that favors your matchups mm-hmm. and what you're putting on the table, and all of a sudden now you're stuck with, especially if you went, oh hey, I found this lit on list on the internet, I want to start Warhammer, mm-hmm. and you just ran out and bought it all and put it together, and then went down to the store. You, you're going to be in for a rude awakening a lot of times because it's not going to perform in the same way some guy on the internet or some mm-hmm. you know celebrity on the internet or whatever it was yeah. told told you this is the way they did it now. There is certainly a a lot of the more popular internet type builds mm-hmm. have have a nice root, a nice core mm-hmm. for you to kind of work around, and you can kind of once you understand the basics of the game, you can go, oh, okay, I kind of get what they're trying to do with that, yeah, and I can see how that would work, and I want to put that on the table. So mm-hmm. it's good, it's good informational stuff to have, but if you don't have the foundation of how is this going to work well on the table? They're probably not good for you because there is a lot of gimmickiness in a lot of the internet type builds that you see out there that are people's lists that they do. Like I, I can say my Tomb Kings build where uh-huh. I'm going to the three war sphinxes. Yeah. Personally, that's kind of a gimmicky build. And if you don't have a certain level of skill, mm-hmm. I think you, you get really frustrated with that, with that army. Well, and the opposite can happen as well where you, take a list off the internet, you play against your local gamers and you're just wrecking the face left and right and nobody can beat you and you're like, oh, this is great, I'm having a great time and you get really motivated and you paint off this whole army to 2,000 points and you go to your first tournament and everybody's just destroying you because they're like, oh, I've played this list 100 times but it just happened that the people that are in your local gaming group never faced that list or just weren't able to come up with a good counter to that list. And so you go to your first tournament, and you just get destroyed. And you're like, well, crap. I was really excited about this army. I had it fully painted. 
And now, if I'm going to be able to play this army again, I'm going to have to go out and buy all this other stuff. But it's already fully painted, so I don't really want to paint anymore. And you just get really discouraged because you're playing a one-trick pony list. And you're not playing a balanced list where you maybe, oh, well, if I maybe just switch up some characters here, maybe I can really make a difference to the way that this list works. And that's something that's usually not possible with those power lists. So I would just caution, play yourself into a list. I completely agree with Ben here. Play yourself into a list that you're comfortable playing with. Because the fact of the matter is, if you're comfortable playing a list, those 0 to 20 losses and those 0 to 20 wins are going to be harder to come by, but you'll learn a whole lot more getting to that point. Exactly. I think that's a big a big goal for for somebody that's building a list for the first time to building an army for the first time is to to try to work themselves into the list even even from the experienced player perspective. I don't know a lot of people that are experienced players that that just set out and write up an army list, go out and buy it, put it together, paint it, and then put it on the table and don't have at least some deviance in their list mm-hmm. from that and where they started point, that starting point, and, they're, and then they're changing it out and going, oh, well, I really think it needs to be this character combination instead because mm-hmm. this this isn't quite right or, oh, I wish this unit had 10 more guys in it or yeah. something like that. There's always some of that subtle tweaking and finagling. Mm-hmm. Like it'll be, you know... Interesting to see if I stick with my Tomb Kings, where that goes from my 40 model list, that 2,000 points, to where it is, say, six months or a year from now when I have more models to my disposal and more options to see where it goes. But, yeah, we'll see if I actually stick with it, too. <laughs> All right. But, uh, yeah, that's that's definitely a huge one. I think there's got to be an option to grow. So then we got to start talking, where do, you, where do you buy models from? Where do you get... Are, mm-hmm. where, how do what's the best pr- process to purchase models? I mean, obviously, there's a Games Workshop website out there. You go to ga- you go to your, if you have a local Games Workshop store, you can go there. Mm-hmm. Don't expect anything fancy. You're not going to get discounts. It's just going to be the models as you get them. You're only going to get the Games Workshop stuff. It'll probably be in stock. <laughs> yeah, chances are it'll be in stock, or they'll get it to you within you know a day or you two. Know, the, Online shipping is relatively quick. Games Workshop is always you know going to be the most obvious option for buying a new army personally ben and i don't have a games workshop anywhere near us so the closest one's like an hour and a half drive away that's correct we especially being gamers from wisconsin which is really kind of the gaming capital of the u.s in my mind really have these great independent gaming stores which is something that's really not available to my understanding in the uk or a lot of other locations but they they basically service all miniature wargaming, all RPGs, etc. They really have a much broader selection than just Games Workshop. And in our area, we're lucky enough that they offer a decent discount as well on the miniatures themselves. Yeah, we have, what, four or five five different game stores just in the Madison area. Yeah. And at least four of them have miniatures on on the shelf. Yeah, Onboard has it, Last Square has it, Misty Mountain has it. And Pegasus Pegasus also has it, and then we've also got... um, Netherworld, Netherworld, which is downtown. I think they just have card games. Correct. They're mostly card games, so they do have a couple of board games on the walls, but that's about it. So, I mean, just listening to that small discussion, you can see we have a lot of options here in Madison, and that's not something that's necessarily true. Growing up in Reedsburg, I'm sure... we didn't have... It was... uh, 
they were it was a, when the local tr- super true value that's how I got started with Warhammer yeah was the local super true value mm-hmm. they when they moved to we're just a normal true value they built the first super true value in the country and the owner's son evidently loved Warhammer and so he had <laughs> talked his dad into putting a hobby sec in the hobby section including Warhammer and because it was there and available for me close to pick up this was, you know, well before really the internet was big or buying things online was a big deal or anything uh-huh. like that. So I just, I just started buying stuff there, and I would go in and back then I could invest about twenty dollars a week and pick up a blister pack or two and mm-hmm. and or primer or paints or whatever it was. It was roughly what I was spending, and over the course of like six months, I built up a pretty good collection of models. Mm-hmm. Well, and the real benefit of being able to buy miniatures where you play is that. You're obviously getting what you want. You want to buy an army. But you're also giving some of the profit from buying that army to the local game store to ensure that you do have a place to play as well. And for Ben and I, that's a very important part of us playing Warhammer is having places to play where we can meet other people randomly. You know, playing in our basement is great. It's a fun time between Ben and I, you know, to play in his basement or to play outside and it's a really enjoyable experience. But to be honest, we really enjoy playing at the game stores a little bit more, seeing that new person walking in, seeing, you know, having a larger variety of opponents or be able to get several games going at once. And that's something that's not really available at our homes. Sure. I mean, it's certainly you can certainly play at home. And if if you want to, that's great. Mm-hmm. The biggest problem I find, you know, and this is that was how I started. When I started the Super True Value, there wasn't space to play. Mm-hmm. So I had to, you know, the only place you could play was at home. When people started moving away, mm-hmm. it was fine when we started. There was like four or five of us that all started together. Yeah. In our, in that we were all part of, we were playing Dungeons and Dragons and we started playing Warhammer and, you know, we were playing Magic. And as they, people started moving away though, mm-hmm. the, it got to be like, oh, I'm playing this stuff, playing the same guy all the time, and the and the games got to be kind of tense mm-hmm. because we knew what each other was going to do, we knew what each other's stuff exactly did. Yeah, we both each had one army each, so it wasn't <laughs> like we could change out armies. Mm-hmm. It just it wasn't. It got to be the games weren't as pleasant as when they were when we were first figuring out the game, and it got to the point where we're like, ah, oh, I'm just, we're just gonna quit. We're not gonna play this game maybe once in a, once in a very great while because it's just we're losing our interest in playing this game. Mm-hmm. And that was when we found that there was. We went to a Gen Con. We saw there was like this huge tournament at a Gen Con. We started going. I started going to a couple of local stores here in Madison for mm-hmm. pickup nights. And that was where like, wow, there's a huge pile of additional gamers. So it is not only for the new player, but it's important for those of you that maybe are the garage gamers. And you're only paying maybe once or twice, you know, maybe a month or... Or maybe it's one game every two or three months or something like that. Mm-hmm. And maybe if you're interested in getting a little more gameplay, it's really important to try to drive and get that turnout. Instead of playing that, that game or those games in your garage, get those at the like, game store because you can start... Because people that come into the game store are to buy that stuff. The stores can then direct you to... Other gamers. Other gamers <laughs> and those or, or direct those other gamers to you to when you're playing in the store, especially if it's a regular occurrence. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you have that you can start building a foundation for a group and a crowd. That's always so much better because when it does. It, you do lose mm-hmm. a large part of the game when you're still stuck playing against the same one or two people mm-hmm. constantly. So it is 
definitely a really good a really good additional thing. And don't get discouraged if your local store doesn't have a if you do have a local store if there's not a big crowd there. Yeah. Be the guy to start that. Try to get that going and try to be consistent, especially if it's like you and a buddy. If you can get a buddy going with you, just play down to the store and start driving that group, that crowd. Well, you can definitely tell that we hit Conzi's passionate button there. And I am also very passionate about that as well. I'd like to make sure we cover all the options, though. And one of the other options would be to buy from an online retailer that's not a local source. You can always get a good discount from them. Such as LastSquare.com. Yeah, LastSquare.com, 20% off. But uh, there are also other companies out there that do 20, 25, 30. Sometimes they'll be either be doing new box or they'll, they'll be working in something called the gray market. And what the gray market is, is that's when somebody buys the product and either sealed or unsealed resells that product. Now, at that point, the models could be new in box, wrapped in plastic. They could just be new in box, unwrapped. They could be new on sprue, which means that they haven't been clipped out yet, but they might not be in the box or have the box. Or they could be assembled. They could be primed. They could be painted. You get to a lot of different points of the hobby when you start looking into these third-party websites yes and they are definitely a good option if you're looking for older miniatures they can be a great option for brand new miniatures as well there are a lot of options out there and and the gray market also includes things like ebay include things like barter town barter town is a trading website where you can say i have this i want this will you trade me and there are definitely a lot of options out there to be able to find that. The, o- the only word of caution we like to throw out is with Bartertown, with eBay, etc. Neither of us, I think, have had any major bad experiences no, with I've any of these websites. Negative experience. However, there are situations where somebody on Bartertown, somebody could decide to just take your money. There are ways around it, ways of getting your money back. But nobody wants that to be their first experience when they're getting into a hobby ebay there's always the possibility that you might find a great deal on something but it's coming from a recaster and it's a bad value or you know there are other options out there that can lead to a not pleasant experience on ebay or on barter town i would caution if it seems too good to be true maybe it's not worth your time to go after it sure and, and, and there are people out there that you can if you see a deal mm-hmm. you can ask them about see is this a good deal for a starting point certainly if you're not sure and you're listening to this show mm-hmm. send it into us you know you send <laughs> yeah. it into hosts at wiscodice.com and we'll get back to you and tell you mm-hmm. or catch us on facebook or twitter and say hey i've got this deal is it too good to be true or mm-hmm. is this look like the real deal or is it something you want i've I, i've actually had Somebody that was listening to the show actually asked me about an Orcs and Goblins purchase because uh-huh. he knew I played Orcs and Goblins for years, and he wanted to be, wanted to have some feedback mm-hmm. on, you know, I I have an opportunity to buy this. Is this worth the purchase? Mm-hmm. And that's certainly I'm I'm happy to give my advice and, and those kind of things. So. Yeah, and I think a really specific example to give a clear reason as to what can go wrong. If you look on eBay, you're going to find a whole lot of Forge World models. You're going to find a lot of them that are being sold by individuals, but there's also a factory in China that is going to be selling everything that Forge World makes, and it's going to be at a significant discount, somewhere between 20 and 30%. If you look at where the miniatures come from, they say they come direct from the factory in China. Now, Forge World doesn't have a factory in China. And if you can get cheap stuff and you're fine with it, great. But you run into the problem where, obviously, this person in China is a recaster. So... Forge World, while very expensive, makes wonderful models. 
and they have amazing customer service. If there is a problem with your order, you contact them, they will resolve it. I've not heard problem one with Forge World orders. Now, if you order from this recaster, you might get 20-30%, well, you will get 20-30% off if you purchase. However, if you get that order, it gets to your door and you find out, oh, wait, this, you know, chaos bull centaur is missing his right arm and you contact them i highly doubt you're going to get any kind of a replacement much less any kind of other feedback regarding that issue so if a deal is too good to be true maybe you want to look at the fine print a little bit and if you're happy doing something like that there's obviously the moral issue of you know whether or not it's legal etc but there are other issues revolving around it and buying from your local game store is a great way to completely go around it. And I know at the last square, they actually have their own little resale shop there of miniatures. So you can go back and look, and I've gotten a gr- couple of great deals off of their... Uh, yeah, there was some great yeah. stuff there the last time I was in there in their consignment area where you could, you know, like a Dark Elf Chariot for 5 bucks mm-hmm. and yeah, some I, other stuff. I've gotten a Greater Demon of Corn for 20 bucks before, Bare Metal, you know. You're going to find a lot of people who are looking to transfer some of that stuff. And if you're buying from a local game store you can know that you're going to be able to get a quality product and especially if you can look at it right there you can see that it's a quality product so again we're both passionate about our local gaming stores so that you know pay where you play is a big mm -hmm. a big motto if you want to keep that roof over your head where you're playing at so that you can grow your group then you should pay at least some of the stuff i don't buy i certainly won't be the i won't lie i don't buy everything from from my local stores, but mm-hmm. I do buy a good portion of stuff mm-hmm. from them just because I know it helps them keep their doors open. Exactly. The last, just because I'm me, I have to point out that there is one other place to buy miniatures from, and that would be boot sales, garage sales, flea markets. You can, It's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. Absolutely no question. You can find miniatures in these. You have to be patient. And you, you might not find them in the best quality as well. They could have testers paint. They could have enamel paints on them. They could literally be beyond recognition as as Warhammer miniatures, 40K miniatures, Lord of the Rings, etc. But there is the potential to be able to find some of this stuff there. Personally, I have a great story about it. So I'm going to always just mention that you might be able to find some of this stuff in unexpected places. So just keep your eyes open. Yes. Although I've never, ever, ever been to a garage sale where I've, I've seen minis at where I could buy them. Maybe a Hero Quest game back in the day, but mm-hmm. never, never minis. Yeah. Which is sad. I'm sorry. I'm happy for myself, but sorry for you. All right. Uh, all right. Um, any other thoughts on buying an army or this whole no, process? I think we've pretty much covered that. All right, cool. So let's go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, we'll go ahead and hit our gaming spotlight. Done and done. My precious, my precious. Your precious what? My precious everything. Yu-Gi-Oh, Warhammer, 40K, War Machine Hordes, everything. Everything? Yeah, it's all at Misty Mountain Games. Really? Correct. Located on Cottage Grove Road. And you know what? I hear they also have the largest gaming space in all of Madison. Don't just hear it. I know they do. All right. And also you can check them out for board games as well, I hear Yep, board games. They got pretty much everything. The management and the staff down there are awesome. They can hook you up with whatever you need. If it's not on the shelves, they'll make sure they get it in for you promptly and quickly. All right, well, check them out. Misty Mountain Games on Cottage Grove Road. And, of course, hit their website at mistymountaingames.com. Okay, we is back. 
he's back, and we've got a, a surprising announcement. Wisco Dice announcement! Yeah, I think, finally, we actually got 100 likes on Facebook! Yes, it is finally done Woo! and done. Yay! We don't have to talk about Facebook ever again, right? No, probably oh. not. All right. Yay! Thank you so much for everyone who liked our Facebook page. Yes, and keep up the likes. Keep driving your friends to listen to the show. All of your support goes to helping us feel good about this and keeping doing what we do. So we really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, everybody. It only took us, whatever, seven or eight months to complete this thing, but we're glad to give away a bunch of stuff. Nothing that's worthwhile takes little effort or some stuff. Okay. I just remember being teased. Anyways, <laughs> we're, we're happy. To, we got probably, <laughs> what, a couple hundred dollars of the junk we're giving away there? I don't know. A bunch. Yeah, I think there's a bunch of stuff nobody wants, so we'll, oh, we'll hey. just keep it for ourselves. <laughs> hey. Nah, no, we got to give this away. So let's go ahead and announce all the winners. We will be trying to get a hold of you via Facebook to get shipping information mm-hmm. or figure out how you want to get this. And if if for any reason you don't want your winnings, let us know. We'll be happy to regenerate somebody else to get that. And all these winners were generated via random.org. Is that correct? Yes, we used random.org to generate all the random numbers. We put all the people in a spreadsheet mm-hmm. and then randomly generated each individual off of that using a random number and finding their line in the file. So it's all very random. If you don't like the randomness we use, well, go complain at random.org. All right, cool. So I think Mr. Conzie has the list of the winners. Yes. So we're going to start with the Avatars of War Beast Lord. I love that mini. That's, it is a beautiful model. It's going to go to Mr. Andrew Nightcamp. Andrew Nightcamp! Yay! Rotor. Yay, Yay Rotor. Yeah, my, that was great. Uh, let's go ahead then and go to the the Black Library books with the start of this whole debacle. Correct. All my fault. Yes. All, all the whole, my fault. The whole contest started with the Black Library books that, that we were looking to pass on to somebody that would enjoy them more. And these are going to go to Mr. James Hopkins. All right. Congratulations. Yay. All right. Well done. Then we've got a, from Prism Gaming, we got one of their DT10 dice towers. Oh, I like uh, it's those. really cool. We love using the dice towers. We've used them in almost every event we've been to since we got them. Correct. And those are, that DT10 is going to go to Mr. Robert Elmer. It's the Swiss Dictator. Yeah, we've heard him on the show before. Certainly, though, I, we didn't use. That didn't go into any uh, any factor, though, in the random.org decision-making. Oh, random.org. Next. So then we've got, also from Prism Gaming, we got a set of like their wound counters, mm-hmm. various little dialy gidgos, a little six-inch ruler thing all very useful gaming aids. oh lots of little little assorted gaming aids these are gonna go to mr mike chronister all right cool congratulations so, and we want to thank uh, prism gaming then of course for donating those towards our our facebook like raffle we appreciate that cool. thank you on top of that then we've got the impact city roller derby team the actual miniatures it should be a five model team coming from impacts impact miniatures nice I'm going to coordinate with Maggie Kane for her to pick out exactly which team she wants from Impact Miniatures, Ooh. and we'll have those shipped to her. So awesome, very cool. Uh, we want to one last thing. I mean, definitely if you uh, with the models now, I hope you check out the game, Maggie. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to uh, when that ships. It should be shipping to me here in the next month or so. I think is what I gathered from the Kickstarter. So it should be on the available on the market here fairly soon. Fresh off the presses. Also, we've got uh, then 
office. The winner of the Wisco dice, the actual the, the green and golds with a pair of rare, now limited edition red and whites, <laughs> which the red and whites are the ones that started the whole Wisco dice thing. Exactly. Those are going to go to Luke Davis. All right. Congratulations, Luke. Congratulations. We've got a couple more prizes to go here. Let's go Man, ahead. We had a lot of prizes. To, there was eight items, eight wow. essential categories of items that we had. Awesome. So we're going to go ahead and give the Doom Bull. Oh, yeah, the metal the Doom Bull. big, the old beautiful metal. Beautiful mini. Great weapon. Big, beautiful model. We're going to go ahead and give that to Jake Hutton. Awesome. Congratulations, Jake. Congratulations. And finally, probably the biggest thing that we're giving away out of this whole thing. Yeah. It is, yeah, it's pretty it, big. It, they are the mystery models off of Conzie's shelf. And you'll never know until of, you get the package. Of brand <laughs> new stuff. These are all brand new in box. Yep. Nothing was opened. No. Nope. You're going to have to wait and find out exactly what you're getting once it ships. <laughs> and these are going to go to Wally. I'm not even going to try to butcher that last name. Desero? Something. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll contact you on Facebook. Yes, we'll, get all, we'll go ahead and get all your information off of Facebook. Stay tuned for that. And thanks to everybody who's liked us and supported us over this. We're, we're awesome. closing in on our first year, and it's meant a lot to have all of your support and to see the, see the show. And your input and feedback help us grow and improve everything. So thank you all. Yeah, and, and a special thank you to all those people on Twitter last night that liked us up to 100 Facebooks. Yeah, there was that a, was awesome. That was there really, was really a cool. big push to try to get stuff last well, we were at night. 95. I, I was like, no, we can't go another episode without giving these away. <laughs> yeah. So well thank done. You. Well done. Thank you. All right. Now we're going to move on to the gaming spotlight. All right, so it's been a little while since we've done this, and for mm -hmm. those of you that don't remember what the segment is, it's really where we talk. We get a little bit off the Warhammer discussion to talk about some other game and give you some kind of little highlight or idea of what it is so that you might want to include that in your own gaming hobby. Because certainly while Wisco Dice, we love our Warhammer, yes. we are general Gamers as well. Gamers. We so are we, from Wisconsin. We love all sorts of games. And so this time, we're going to talk about kind of the new hotness oh, yeah. out there right now, and that's the Star Wars X-Wing Miniatures game. From Fantasy Flight Games. Yes. Which is like Games Workshop. Oh, yeah, but in Minnesota. <laughs> well, it's... They yeah, do they, do Games Workshop stuff as well, though, so there is They a do connection. a lot of stuff They there. do the RPGs. They do Talisman, all they, that They've got stuff. all the GW licensing. Anyways, uh, <laughs> Ben is bored with me now. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, X-Wing, we've both gotten to play a game, play at least one game now. Mm -hmm. I've played quite a few, actually. Yes. And i got to say, this is one of my favorite little pick-up-and-play games. Mm -hmm. Of course, like almost any Fantasy Flight game, it's got about a billion tokens. Uh, yes. <laughs> right now, you've got a series of just the X-Wing, an X-Wing, a Y-Wing, mm -hmm. a TIE Fighter, and, an, and the Advanced TIE Fighter, all from pretty much the original Star Wars, the motion picture film. Why don't we cover what's actually in the base box, though? What comes when you buy the box? One X-Wing, two TIE Fighters, some Whole dice. Lot of templates. Six dice, a bunch rules. of templates, rules. Yeah. Uh, basic overview. And that's, it's, uh, I, will, I will say, and I've said before, and I'll say it again, the game is a little bit, I think, for the price point, a little bit expensive mm -hmm. to get that first box. And I almost tell, I would tell folks, if you're, like, the only guy in your gaming group that's going to buy it, you should probably buy two starter boxes. That way you have doubled up on the sets of dice. You have doubled up on the templates and those kind of things because 
it, it is kind of annoying to pass the templates, pass the dice back and forth, back and forth, mm-hmm. back and forth while you're playing. So it's nice to have that extra stuff. And, of course, the extra ships are, are nice to have. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, they have a booster pack for an X-Wing, a booster pack for a Y-Wing, mm-hmm. a booster pack for the TIE Fighter, and the booster pack for the Advanced TIE out right now. And they're coming out with more, as I understand. Yeah, there's so. uh, the Millennium Falcon and the Slave One are coming out fairly soon, I think January, along with the A-Wing and the TIE Interceptor. Cool. So, so there's going to be a lot of flexibility, and this is going to be continuing to add to the strategy as the game goes along yeah because there's gonna right now people are kind of people from what i've gathered i haven't played enough games to get that serious about about which combos are mm-hmm. super best or not but well i've heard three y-wing pilots can be devastating the y-wings are amazing well because they're <laughs> they have they have like an ion cannon that you can upgrade them to pew, pew. and they're just they're full of hull points so they're very resilient, especially then if you load one up with like an R with like R two D two, so that you can keep regenerating shields pretty much every turn. It they are the the couple of times I've played them, the the Y wing was very difficult to take down. It's kind of hard to get it to shoot, and it doesn't necessarily shoot where you want it to. But the ion cannon, which I haven't used in game is supposed to, I mean, it's supposed to be, because it's turret-based, so you can, I think you can shoot it 360 around the ship. Oh, cool. So yeah, that gives that, that gives you a lot of flexibility then. Mm-hmm. As far as the basics of the game, it's a really simple game. Plot down the miniatures on one side, one on the other. All the movement is based on these templates that you have, and you have these little counters that you choose which movement you want and then place it face down in front of you. Your opponent does the same. And then based on pl- flight skill, is it? Pilot skill, yeah. Based on pilot skill is who goes first, and then you move your ships, and then you have the shooting phase, and that's based Again, on based on pilot, pilot skill. skill. So the guy, pilots who are the most skilled get to shoot first, mm-hmm. while pilots that are most skilled get to move last. Correct. And there's a mechanic where the pilots can then, once they've moved, can pick a special maneuver or special thing based on the type of maneuver that they might have made mm-hmm. so that you can maybe get to re- get to change a certain die result into a success or or you might be able to get a little bit of a shift to move like a barrel roll or those kind of do things. a barrel roll so it is important like so being able to see how you're you know higher the pilot skill being able to move move later in the movement lets you see where maybe you're going to end up better to be able to pick a better a uh, better option in one of those those optional skills and then when you fire you get the, the better pilot skill gets to fire first when everything's done then you go ahead and resolve it and shooting's done and then the and then you move on to another turn yeah a, a really quick clean set of rules and surprisingly tactical when you get down to it especially with all the different options that you have to upgrade right up until ships. luke skywalker flies off the <laughs> yeah, table when luke skywalker flies into the wall i win that's all yeah, there is that's, to it that's pretty bad but yeah <laughs> i i really enjoy it it reminds me a lot of Wings, Wings of, of War, War. Yeah. Say, yeah, yeah. As far as gameplay and style, it, which I love that game too, mm-hmm. but it is. It, I mean, it's Star Wars, and and I really do like they're using the traditional Star Wars, the original film type ships. It mm-hmm. really helps add a lot of bonus for me too. So yeah. it's a really fun game. I personally probably won't be buying it. I have a couple other games on my list of games to buy, but I definitely enjoy playing it, and I would highly recommend it to anybody else. Alrighty then, back to the games. We're going to talk okay, about so, Yeah, we're going to talk about North Star now. North Star in Minneapolis at yes. the Mermaid in the Atlantis Ballroom. Yeah. We were fortunate enough to be able to 
We were able to carpool up with Thank you. Uh, Grant Fetter and Jake Murphy. Yep. Jake Murphy. Correct. Both of which have been on Garage Hammer before and we're pretty good friends with. Mm-hmm. So that was it was nice to be able to carpool with those and hang out with them and on the way up and Correct. Uh, Grant happily entertained us entertained us with a movie on the way up and down. Yep, and then they did the FAQ Q and A, which was kind of fun. Which codes he won? Oh, I don't think was, we had. I don't think we had a no winner. Scoring. I don't think we had a winner or a loser, but I still won. <laughs> so we ended up getting to the venue Friday night about six, seven o'clock. Was that right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, we had to stop at the liquor store before we got there because you know what's the tournament? Pick up a few buying up liquors. Stuff, yeah. We were able to get into the Atlantis Ballroom right away. John Stentz, who ran the tournament along with Eric Hagen and Jared Stifler. Yep. They ran an Arena of Death match on friday night on friday night and then there was also a malifaux tournament as well which a couple people played in i think there was eight or ten players yeah there was a decent decent malifaux tournament i if i would have had a war band and had half a clue what i was doing i would have played in that definitely but since neither of those were happening we wanted to play some warhammer yeah we played some warhammer yeah i played my first game against jake murphy with my tournament list jake happily devoured stompy and he did stompy did Two wounds in combat and died, and I lost that game wholeheartedly. Yeah, you looked like you were in a pretty good spot when he like charges his, co- his cold one bus into your chaos knights. Yeah, and co- really whiffed it, really whiffed it, and then <laughs> and then you pretty much crushed those. Yeah, well, see, the thing was the black guard, or no, he had executioners. Excuse yeah. me, ran into Stompy, and Stompy survived the round of combat. So I'm like, sweet, all right, I'm gonna do thunder crush and forty six thunder stomp. What do I roll? Pick up and, oh, okay, uh, I'll pick up the champion, I guess. So I picked up the champion. He rolled, failed through with me. And what do I do? You squish him. Oh, so I get one point of combat resolution? Oh, it's okay. I still have my Thunderstomp. D6. Oh, I rolled a one. I thought you rolled a two and then failed a wound once. Yeah. Same thing So I did two wounds to his three ranks, charge, and banner. Which, with Leadership 5, is really bad. So Stompy ran around and fled, and the Executioners got him down. Yep. Oh, that's a poor opening gambit for Stompy. So, and I got to playing Jake that n- on Friday <laughs> night as well. Dark Elf versus Dark Elf. Civil and War! This was, this was a lot of kind of, like, because this is Jake's kind of first games with his Dark Elf. Yeah, he hadn't played that many games, and so he really so wanted to get some he, games Yeah, in. he was really pushing to get some games. And this was kind of I we we talked there was a lot of talking where he was where we kind of picking brains and stuff like that in this game. Mm-hmm. Jake's I I think Jake's a better player than I am, but uh, <laughs> I did sneak out the win here uh, in this game. I I really I don't think Jake had a full understanding yet of exactly what he wanted to do with his list. He had some good ideas, but he didn't really have it. He didn't have a good feel for the movement of like the elves versus the cold one cab and stuff but like that. That was a pretty list. I really liked it. His, you can see his, some pictures. His on my army feed. is yeah, yeah, really, really sharp. All right. And then my second game I played against Johnny Hastings. Lined up with Stompy and basically Johnny just fed me chaff until he could I think he purple sun <laughs> Stompy, so and you know, I, I I gave it my all and, and lost wholeheartedly, but it was a great game. I love playing against Johnny, even though he smashes my face every time. It's I didn't fun. play any other games, though, on Friday night, so. No, but there was, yeah, that's, didn't you go to sleep at, like, 10 or something? No. You snuck off night? the bed before I did Okay, Friday yeah, I night. went to sleep at midnight. That's right. And I was up till, like, 2. Yeah, nobody wanted to play any more games after me, so. All right. So, but anyway, it was a great time. And we showed up the next morning, 
for the tournament itself. Yes. Conzi, how did your first round go? I lost. All right. My first round. <laughs> oh, that, <laughs> I'm just, right. I'm trying to be nice. I, I, and Conzi as was you in a bad mood <laughs> to go up because he's got Mary Mayhem going, and he's like, "Man, I should be using this stuff for making terrain." He I, I really, I really do feel like I should have the whole weekend. It was going through me like I could be getting actual work done on my own tournament this weekend. No, but instead you're forced to have fun with your friends. Yeah, I oh, had a good time. No. I did have a good time, <laughs> I, I, but you were distracted. I was very weekend. distracted. It was it was hard to focus on playing Warhammer. With that kind of going in the back of my head the whole weekend, so fair enough. Yeah, especially since now, while we're recording this, I'm kind of up against the wall with having to get a lot of projects done. So, all right. Well, did you want to cover your first game, or is that well, I got good enough. I I lost. I played against uh, a Lizardman player mm-hmm. who had his list was no Slon mm-hmm. and Lizards. Oh, you're playing against Kurt Gedgen. Yes. And and lizards tend to be my Achilles heel. I, yeah. I really struggle against them, typically. Mm-hmm. It doesn't usually matter what army I'm playing, although my Dark Elves really feel like it. With the Salamanders, they just chew up my, my big blocks of infantry so fast. And mm-hmm. I, can't, I, I mean, Warhammer now is, seems to me a lot to be about the attrition war once you get to combat. Yeah. And... When you're already losing big chunks of your mo- of your units before you get to get to combat, mm-hmm. like okay, I got tw- I got 19 blackguard and BSB. Well, by the time I can get them to combat, there's five blackguard. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, you win. I just threw the I just threw the unit away. I'm gonna do. I did huge damage to a Soros block, mm-hmm. but I couldn't take it off the board because I ran out of guys. Yep, but I got table 20 outed and. Well, and Kurt, it was horrible. Kurt had a really fun list, though, because he was playing Lizardmen, but he had no Slon, and instead he had an Old Blood and a Carnosaur. Yes. And he actually did really, really well this weekend. So, yeah, it was him playing an alternate list and having a good time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, my first game was against Andy Natsky. He was playing Skaven. He's one of the Wausau boys. He had a Bell, and then he had a bunch of other small units, and I had Stompy, and I had the Chaos Knights lined up directly across from him, and I was like, sweet. I'm all set, ready to go. He gets first turn, cracks call, Stompy dead. Sad panda. And I could have done much better in this game, but I decided to run the Chaos Knights towards the Bell unit. I should have run them around to the left flank and started cleaning up all the chaff and trying to recover some of those victory points. But it really was kind of an iffy situation because he charged or he moved forward and he put himself right outside the charge distance. And then the rolled for the bell, and he moved four inches forward. So he rolled Crack's Call. He got it off irresistibly. And then he rolled the distance for Crack's Call. He ended up one inch in front of Stompy. And we had a tournament re-roll, and he used that tournament re-roll to roll one of the ones into a four, so Stompy got hit. Stompy had an initiative test. Stompy's initiative one. I rolled and used the re-roll. and rolled a two or something, so Stompy died. But I had the puppet, so I took away Crack's Call and two of his other spells, and he turned into a level one. And I really had the tools to make sure that I recovered enough victory points. And if I had just left that bell unit alone, I probably could have at least made a fight out of it if I wouldn't have won. So that was just silly on me for being like, oh, I've already lost the game, so I might as well just throw away the knight unit. So that was silly of me. But that ended up being an 0-20 to him because I 
basically gave him the game. So you did come off of like Friday, you know, you, you think about you'd started Screw City, you took Stompy, yeah, and that was kind of a beat down, correct. And then your first two games going in Friday night at North Star, yeah, with Stompy. You got beat down. So I can kind of see where the, okay, here's how it's going to go. I know how this is going to go. Because honestly, Stompy is the biggest concession that was at that tournament. Mm-hmm. Well, but also I was very hungover. Literally, literally <laughs> the biggest concession. Yeah. Because he was the he biggest He was the largest model. model and the most points. <laughs> but I, And I, the most money. I was also very hungover. I didn't eat any food to like five or six that night. So <laughs> that probably didn't help contribute to my thinking good. But, anyway, on to your second game, Mr. Conesy. Okay, so my second game, I played against Demons. Mm-hmm. John DeBelly. Yes. His list was like this. He had a unit of six crushers. He had a unit of 20 letters, a unit of 30 letters, a unit of 15 demonets, and three units of three screamers. No magic, no shooting. Yep. Well, it's Demons, so it's, there would, you know, shooting isn't huge anyways. Well, they are isn't so much nowadays, anyways. But it, I try. I knew this game. I was going to have to stall. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the only way I was going to be able to stick around late in the game. Because mm-hmm. if I pressed it forward, I would give up my big strength, which is the the L four L two versus the no magic list. Correct. And so I spent a lot of time with debuffs, reducing movement, shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and such to try to negate my to get get things to where they were manageable by the end of the game. Mm-hmm. My dreadlord was amazing and held up a unit of three screamers and a unit of the the uh, of the blood crushers. crushers. Yeah, and so I, I, they, he did amazing, but unfortunately he he couldn't kill anything. He was just. <laughs> He wasn't equipped efficiently to kill things at all. He was which just was, good at stalling. He was just good at just holding something in place, and that wasn't what I needed. Yeah, there were a lot of list regrets too in this event. I, I really, <laughs> I really wish I would have. I didn't have effective killing power where yeah. I, I had. I had a good magic phase, but my magic phase didn't complement my killing power. I couldn't afford like I, my forty-seven model black of you know. Spear elves. I couldn't afford to get them into combat because I, there was at least my L four in there with no ward save, no anything. So yeah. it was all weekend. It was just hide, 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 and then <laughs> pounce with like the black guard and try That's... to mind razor them up, or pounce with a unit, and mind razor it up. That sounds like a wood elf list more than a dark elf list. Except that <laughs> I was big blocks and it wasn't very maneuverable. So yeah, it, it was uh, big mis- big list mistake. But I ended up losing this game as well. All right. So I'm now 0-2. Well, I guess I won the Friday night game, so 1-2, but the Friday night game didn't count towards the tournament. Oh, yeah, and also we had this contest going on to see if I could kill Stompy the most times in one weekend. Yeah, how many can you beat your record? He died to Jake, he died to Johnny, he died to Andy, and then I ended up playing Travis Winter. Travis Winter was playing a Dark Elf list, which was actually pretty soft, but it also had double Hydra. So I was like, uh, okay, well, my monster is bigger. Maybe I'll be able to win this one. And I tell you what, Stompy went crazy. He ran into a Hydra, took its breath weapon, took its attacks, broke it, and tried to ran it down, failed. Ran into the Black Guard, stomped 24 of the 25 out of existence, and then broke the second Hydra, took its breath weapon, 25. and 25. 
I think he had 25. He can't have a unit bigger than 20. Okay, well, uh, 19 out of his 20 then. He destroyed a unit of the Black Guard. He broke two Hydras, uh, and he eventually went down to the last Black Guard. <laughs> but he was able to like destroy enough of the army that my Chaos Knights were able to just clean up everything. Took out his Cauldron BSB. I... <laughs> I uh, gatewayed off his level four with a unit of 25 spear elves. I have to say, I felt really, really bad for Travis during this game. He wasn't rolling so well. And he had a seven-year-old. He had to watch a seven-year-old for this day. And so he was trying really, really hard not to curse and get pissed off while we were playing. But by the end of the game, he just gave up because I just he was rolling horrible and I was rolling well. And I just kind of stomped over him. So. so that was 16-4. But, but Stompy went bye-bye. Yep, so four deaths to Stompy. What are you going to do, brother, <laughs> when Stompy runs wild on you? Uh, yeah, there's not much you can do in that situation. So, All right, so we go on to game three. Took on, I think it was Mark. He was playing Empire. Okay. And this was a diagonal deployment. Mm-hmm. He could have deployed. like He had a cannon and a... Hellblaster and mm-hmm. a big unit of crossbows and a big a big unit of handgunners and, he, and and lots of magic. He had like an L4, a couple L2s, mm-hmm. and a warrior priest. Yep. And a pretty solid cavalry bus. But he could have pressed this all like pretty far back in his deployment zone and shot me to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, because honestly, the cannon would I couldn't hide the hydra from the cannon that long. Yeah, my magic wasn't better for, than his for direct damage, and he outshot me by crazy. So I would have had to walk the board on. Instead, he surprises the Dickens out of me and pushes it forward. <laughs> and so he's got like his unit of great swords, which wasn't huge. A unit of flagellants, which wasn't terribly huge. Mm-hmm. And the knights. Well, I lock up the knights with my dreadlord. Yeah, the. Blackguard go into the Greatsword, which is a matchup favorites great uh, the Blackguard. Yes. It did take me forever to to win that matchup, but I did grind the the Greatsword to death. Mm-hmm. And then my Hydra walks over by the Flagellants. Breath doesn't charge him, he just breathes on him. Yeah. I don't usually use the breath weapon out of combat, but in this case I'm like, oh, I'm shooting him with crossbows. Yeah. And I'm breathing on him with the Hydra, so I took out like 20 Flagellants in a turn. Mhm. And there was like three or four guys left. He tried to hide them, but eventually the Hydra charged them and stomped them to death. <laughs> but it was it was just I was just one of those games where I'm like, okay, the only thing that he had working for him was the knights. The only when he when he did when he pushed everything forward like that, mm-hmm. and the knights did kill my unkillable dreadlord fairly efficiently and quickly. I I didn't roll well on his armor saves, yeah, ward saves. <laughs> it was you know it was. I, I'm not sure. I, I won the game. I won 20-odded. I had him basically tabled in four turns because he pushed it forward. Nice. Whereas I think he should have beat me if he would have played it. And we talked about it after the game, and, and he was. we were both in agreement. You're like, you know, you should have. With your list, you should have won. You should have. With the list versus my list, you should have won. And if you would have just kept held things back, I was in. I would have been in deep, deep trouble. All right. Well, congratulations. You won a game. So, I got a game. I got a big win, too. So nice. that helped make up for the, the <laughs> losses. The one, I mean, that was a, I lost 20 yacht the mm-hmm. first round. I had like a 14 6 loss in the second round, which is an, it was an okay win. It's an okay loss. Yeah. And then I had the big win. So that, that helped bring the day, day one back into, okay, now I can still be in the middle, maybe the top 
two thirds of the you know middle or maybe the top third of the pack. Cool. Uh, my game three was against John DeBelli, the game that you played, the guy you played second. Yep, I helped ele- elevate his success. Thank you so much. So <laughs> basically, we were playing the diagonal appointment again, and I was able to line up Stompy and the Knights across from his unit of Damonettes and the unit of Letters, the smaller one. And he had his second unit of Letters, the larger one, and the Blood Crushers to the left of Stompy. And I had my two units of Marauder Horsemen, and he had his three units of Creamers. Now, these were my big concern. Because Stompy could not be in combat for an extended period of time with those Screamers. Because every time they do a wound, because of Lamprey's Bite, it's D3 wounds on a large target. Stompy would have gone down potentially before he even got to fight with those. So I got the first turn. I charged both units of Screamers that were on the front flank with my unit of knights on the right and my mammoth on the left. And then my dogs just kind of scattered out and decoyed some stuff and my units two units of marauder horsemen ran off to the left flank so completely destroyed the screamers they didn't do any wounds and then i overran into the unit of blood letters on the right and the daemonettes on the left i misjudged it i thought i had a double charge with stompy into the blood letters and of the daemonettes but i didn't that really is what makes the difference in the rest of this game because he flank charged me with the unit of blood letters and the unit of crushers and so I expected that, and that's actually where Stompy does really, really well because he's able to put so much combat resolution onto a single unit that if you've got the whole army centered around him and he wins by enough, he can really just decimate the whole army. Instead, I ended up with the Chaos Knights in their own combat and Stompy in his own combat. I had lined up those Marauder Horsemen to be able to get a rear charge after he flank charged me. So first round of combat, I end up doing a decent amount of grinding with the knights, kill about half of the bloodletters, and then Stompy survives the first round of combat, and he does, I think, 11 or 12 wounds. Something uh, like that, I think, is what you remember, yep, remember he- telling me. To the bloodletters on the left. So he did enough. He still ended up losing combat, and he had to test on a three, which I was able to pass, fortunately, because the BSB was right there. Now, had he been in combat with the Knights, I would have won that combat by, I think it was six or seven instead of losing it. Uh, Because he was using the General's Leadership, he lost it by five. I did 10 or 11 wounds on the Bloodletters, so he would have won combat by five instead of lost combat by five. And those instability tests probably would have taken their toll in the first unit. And then next round, I charged into the rear with my two units of Marauder Horsemen which took away the Steadfast. But again, because they were in separate combat, Stompy went down. And I expected him to go down in the second round of combat, but I would have won that second round of combat by 10 or 11. And instead, I lost it by 3. And that was the game. He ended up chasing down my two units from Rotter Horsemen. My knights were stuck in combat with the Bloodletters on the right flank, so the Bloodcrushers were able to flank them, and it was all over, 0-20. to 20. But it was a good game, and John was a good opponent. So... That was some fun times for me. So I ended up winning one of my two games, and I got 20 on it in both my losses. So I wasn't doing so well. But Stompy died five times now. So, yeah, was, I mean, so day one, uh, mm-hmm. I think we both were in the suckage department of the tournament. But Correct. But there was a cake party, and that cake party was pretty fun, you have to admit. Uh, I wouldn't know. Oh. Well, you were hanging out. And then we played, uh, what was the I got to watch a bunch of people eat cake, yeah. yeah. It was horrible. 
And then we played. Um, they all our, had fun though. I, I, yes. I it was a great idea. I just I, I, brought I can't pineapple eat pineapple upside down cake. It was good. I can't eat cake and lose weight. So fair enough. That's that's a very good point. And then we played Cards Against Humanity. That was great. Yeah, I, I was horrible at that game, but it was fun. It was amazing. I, to play. I don't think I did very well either. I but got it was, one card. It was very <laughs> enjoyable. I think two or three, but yeah. it, it, that's not. It, that, I don't think that's the idea of playing a game like that. The idea no. is <laughs> is just laughing and having fun and and getting as many like dirty jokes and stuff like that out there with the and I the various you, combinations of cards. Cards Against Humanity is all about the dirty jokes. This is not a game you play with your grandparents. This is not a game you play with your under fifteen year olds. It's no, but it's an adult. It's, an it's adult, for adults. Adult game, but. but it is, but it's not like an adult, like complete perv game. It's it's an <laughs> it adult. It can turn into one. It of can those. turn into that, but it, it, you know, you could play this with like your adult friends from college or yep. your adult friends from high school or whatever. Your gaming group, mm-hmm. or you could bring in some of the wives and girlfriends, and they would all enjoy this game. So. Yeah, it's it's basically an adult version of Apples to Apples if you've ever played that game. So yeah, it's just very similar. Very similar. Mm-hmm. Then we move on to Sunday morning. Yep, neither of us got any Warhammer in actually on Saturday night. No, so. I was asking for games, but actually, fortunately, I didn't get one. I was trying to play against Rick Ebler, but that ended up being a good thing. I didn't get a game against. Yeah, I him, didn't. So. I didn't enjoy. I didn't. In, I shouldn't say I didn't. I want to play another game. Yeah. I had. I wasn't happy with my list. Mm-hmm. I didn't have. I didn't want to take the time to try to drop a new list with the models I had brought. Yeah, and so there was a certain level of frustration with that, and I just. I was not ex- excited to play at this point in the tournament. I wasn't even ex- I wasn't too terribly excited about playing a whole lot more games. Mm-hmm. I have to say though, the weirdest thing about Saturday was I woke up at six o'clock, went down to go get their continental breakfast, and there was a bowling alley right next to the restaurant where the continental breakfast was. It was full of like teenagers playing bowling at six o'clock in the morning. I was really weirded out. I was like, am, am I in the wrong country? Am I in the wrong continent? Yeah, bowling league or something, probably. It's 6 a.m. in the morning on a Saturday. My I wife was, has derby practice. It's like 6 or 7 a.m. On I a, was on just a, weirded actually, out. Might be 8 a.m. is what your derby practice is on Saturday. Anyway, let's get back to the Warhammer. So, Sunday, game four, what'd you play? I had to play against Danger Nightcamp. Ah. Rotor. Rotor. So he's this, playing Lizzie's. He was there. It was the best, not only the best looking army I played against mm-hmm. all weekend, but also probably the best game of the weekend. And so yeah. especially coming off of like Saturday, I, I'd done a lot of losing. I was really frustrated with my army list. Yep. I was really not happy. With the fact that I didn't get any practice games to try to eke Improve, out or, yeah. or make some decisions uh, regarding my list. Mm hmm. So I had made decisions on my list based on my gut, and my gut was wrong. Yeah. Actually, I did tweet a couple pictures of his army as well. The bone on his Stegadons is amazing, and also on his Slon. That's probably my favorite paint choice that I saw this weekend. Yeah, it was really, really sharp. I, I give him all the credit in the world. It was really good. Now, this game we used, it was using the Battle for the Past deployment. Yes. And our table had right smack in the center... Of the <laughs> was a Camry quicksand, mm-hmm. which was like a twelve, ten or twelve inch diameter quicksand, yep. and then a giant like ten or twelve inch piece of impassable mm-hmm. terrain. Now, uh, if you don't mind, right now, I'd like to just take this because we're focusing on terrain to just say, wow, terrain at North Star was great. Yeah, it was very. Uh, ex- gonna, it know. was exceptional. It was probably the best 
terrain terrain mm-hmm. i've been at a tournament and that's saying a lot because wapaka is right in my list of tournaments mm-hmm. now that as, are, yeah as far as whole tables i like wapaka's like t- number one and number two tables those are just blow you out of the water amazing but as far as just having scattered terrain and really theming those tables towards places in the warhammer world I was so impressed. There was probably like a thousand dollars worth of miniatures that were just stuck into the terrain on these boards. Terrain items. Really, really. I I was really, really impressed. Eric Hagen specifically. I was talking to him about how he made a couple of those pieces, and they just got a lot of talent up there for making terrain. So yeah, I, it, it's another one of those things too. They've got a good crew, a good mm-hmm. core crew that are all dedicated and interested in working and running the event. Mm-hmm. So and it shows. Mm-hmm. So my favorite actual board was they had a squig hill and then they had a fungus forest that actually was little pieces of fungus so oh i remember seeing that yeah they did a really cool thing here which i've never seen in any other tournament but i thought was a really cool solution so before eighth edition you never had all you had all this impassable terrain but now in eighth edition almost nothing is impassable unless it's this huge centerpiece model but what do you do with all that impassable terrain that you had for seventh edition what they did was they made boards for it and they stuck it on the boards and they said this is a forest. If it had an impassable terrain piece on it, well, this forest now grants hardcover. And that was, I think, a great solution to using all this really nice terrain in a different setting, but using the rules for 8th edition and using them well. I don't, I don't know how much of that was, because I, I, this is our first North Star, and mm-hmm. I don't know how much of that was it was just actually originally designed that way. Mm-hmm. And maybe, because like the weird stone stuff, I don't think those were intended to be giant areas of impassable. But... I have to say that in the execution of the tournament game itself, it was a very nice way of making very clear, concise rules, but still having a lot of varied terrain on all the boards. Oh, yeah. It was, it was, that was a really, a really good highlight. So, yeah, big shout out to North Star. Great job on the terrain. All right. You can continue to game four. Sorry about that. <laughs> all right. So, Battle for the Pass kind of stood up. I don't remember what the, oh, there was a couple of huge objective markers smack dab in the center of the board, kind yep. of. Like, they were 18 inches or one something One of them was apart. in the impassable terrain. Yeah, one of them ended up being right smack dab in the middle of the impassable piece of terrain, and you had to be like three inches or something within it, so it was yep. near impossible to be within three inches because the terrain piece, other than a couple spots, didn't come within three inches of yeah. it. And you had to have fortitude to to claim those objectives and then you well. had the other one was like right on my side of the edge of the Kemri quicksand so mm-hmm. yeah it made for a really rough go of it i mean there was it was at, at this point unless you wanted to go over the Kemri and quicksand there was really no way to move a horde unit through it uh-huh. so the game kind of came down to andrew decided to kind of keep his stuff on his side of the board because I got first turn and was able to push it forward to gain table positioning. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of threw his chaff at me and I killed his chaff. And finally, by the end of the game, he was able to just take off enough of my stuff to get the, get the win. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, it was a very tactical game. It was very, there was a little bit of a, like, I really want to replay this in a normal game <laughs> kind of feel too, because it, it would have been interesting to see how that mat- how we would have matched up and played off against each other in a normal kind of deployment and setup. But this game did add. It was a really a back-and-forth kind of tactical, like, can he stall me off long enough to keep me from getting to him with any, you know, a, the big, a big unit of Blackguard, and of course he did. He was exactly, he was able to throw enough chaff with enough shots to kill the Blackguard to the point where they were too small mm-hmm. of a unit 
to you know at five at, at five or six models going up against a Soros block. You're not just not happen. enough guys to be able to chew them apart. Mm-hmm. And then I, then it was um, how do I keep these guys alive and a lot of back and forth and and then even the last turn I was still in a position to draw it or win it mm-hmm. with, by getting the bonus points from controlling the two objective points. Yes. And last turn his his turn five magic phase really destroyed me because he got all of the lower light buff spells mm-hmm. off on his Soros unit I think they were Temple Guard actually with his Slon. Mm-hmm. And that basically meant I couldn't afford to engage them. And then on top of that, he, on his turn, because in his move, in his bottom of six, it would have been whatever it was his turn, he was able to move. And because he had whatever the one of the bot, Laura Light buff spells lets him move double or something like mm-hmm. that. So he was able to move the unit Corona's 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was able to move him 16 and put him within three inches of one of the objective markers. And then his nice. other Soros unit was able to march to get within three inches and took that advantage away. If he didn't have that turn five magic phase, mm-hmm. I would have won this game. All right. Well, but it sounds like he had a great game anyway. It was, it was really close. It, a was, good opponent. it was like a 12 or a 13. Like it was a 12-8 or something like that. It was, nice. it was really close. I'm probably wrong on, on what it was, but it was a really, really close game and a really good game. And, and, and pretty, the table, the, ter- the terrain on the table was great. It was mm-hmm. just kind of kinky because the, with the placement, mm-hmm. it mucked up. You know, you would look at the table, and it was kind of obvious to me when you placed, when they placed the terrain, they were thinking of more of a traditional deployment. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden there was this scenario, and it really mucked with the and – and I think that affected some other games too. No, it's not a complaint. Just a uh, because it was a re- it was again the best game I think I had all weekend. All right, uh, my game four was against a guy named Gordy Herman. He was an older gentleman. I think he came from South Dakota actually, which was really cool. He was self-professed, not really a tournament gamer. He just had a, a lot of fun with the other guys from South Dakota. He didn't have what I would call an optimized orcs and goblins list, and I had a really fast-moving chaos list. So. I ran everything as far forward as I could, ended up terror-bombing the right side of his board, so three of his units ran away, and then I gatewayed the only thing left, which was his Savage Orc unit. I baited his Black Orcs with my Marauder Horsemen and pulled them out of position, so when he was rolling for his rally tests, he was nowhere near the general with level 10 and was rolling on level 5s instead. So that whole right flank just kind of disappeared because Stompy was charging them. And I eventually managed to get Stompy into the Black Guard or the Black Orcs and stomp them down to about twelve or thirteen models before Stompy got slain. But then I just kept gatewaying the Black Orcs until they disappeared and cleaned up the rest of the Chaos Knights. And I, I felt kinda bad for Gordy, but it was a very fun game for me. I ended up pulling off a twenty zero win, which I was pretty impressed by. I felt bad for Gordy because he didn't have an optimized list and there was really nothing he could do against Gateway. He was just like, oh, that unit's gone? Okay. Oh, I lost another six Black Orcs? Okay. <laughs> it was far too nice for me to feel good about beating him. <laughs> but it was a good game, and I enjoyed the paint on his army. He he did a nice job painting it up, and he was a very fun opponent. Okay, so we'll go ahead and move into round five then. Correct. Round five... I played against another Dark Elf player, mm-hmm. and I don't remember what his name was. One unit, big unit of Black Guard, two big units of Corsairs, 
And it was a real combat-heavy list. L4, Sorceress, Shadow, L2, Metal. Mm-hmm. Which the L2 Metal was took my Dreadlord off the board on, like, oh. turn one. and <laughs> Which that was, I mean, the Dreadlord is a huge part of it. I needed him to basically lock up a unit in combat. And since he didn't push anything forward and I got taken off the board. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was pretty obvious to me right off the bat this game was going to be a complete uphill struggle. And I didn't have the tools. He had more combat blocks. I couldn't push it forward against him and win. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have the shooting. He had two bolt throwers, which is really odd in a Dark Elf list. Yes. But against me, against in this matchup, mm-hmm. I didn't have an answer to get to him fast enough because the Dreadlord's on a cold one and not on a Pegasus. I didn't have any Peg Riders. Yeah. So I didn't have the speed to get there to take him off the board, mm-hmm. to take them off the board. And, the, the, and with the, where they were deployed, I couldn't get the Harpies in there really quickly. So... I mean, my black guard were basically deleted from range attacks, mm-hmm. and all I so that left me with a unit of spear elves and a hydra. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the game, last turn, the my big mistake in this one is I have my my spear elves in a horde formation. I had lost the hydra at this point. The hydra had went nuts and killed a bunch of stuff though, mm-hmm. and. All I had left was the Spear Elves, and I was in good shape to win the game at this point. Yeah. I had the L4 in the unit. I had the L2 in that unit. Mm-hmm. I had to put them in a unit to keep them safe. Of course. I had the crossbows, I think, too, on the on, still on the board, but they were marching the other direction to keep from getting <laughs> charged. And my Spear Elves were in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I decided they were out of combat. I decided to put them deep just to make sure I kept my stubborn check. Mm-hmm. This was a big mistake. <laughs> and the reason being is that I then was so much narrower a frontage that his, I think he had at that point he had he had his corsairs in like hordes of unit, yeah. right? His black guard in a horde of a uh, horde a twenty twenty wide ho- or ten wide horde, and I had taken off enough models so they were like seven models left in the unit, mm-hmm. and. If I would have left my unit in a horde formation, it would have been very hard for him to bring enough attacks to bear to kill my L4. Yeah. As it was, (laughs) and it would have been that I had that many more attacks to kill his Blackguard. As it was, I went narrow. I didn't have very many attacks to kill Blackguard with Mm -hmm. after the fact. So I couldn't, I didn't, it was the bottom of six. So I didn't have enough to kill the unit off the board. And on top of that, I lost not only the L4, which was on one unit edge, but also the L2, which was on the other unit edge. Mm-hmm. Now, I was going to lose one, but I probably shouldn't have lost both if I would have kept them in Horde, on, on top of having a shot of taking the Blackguard off the table. So yeah. that was my big mistake, and that basically went from, okay, I'm probably going to win this game, or it's going to be close draw, to guess what? I've now given up 500 points in characters mm-hmm. and lost the game. All right. Well, so, that's, that's no fun. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of kicked myself for that one, too. But that that one, that loss was on me there. I knew where my mistake was. Mm-hmm. There wasn't anything. It wasn't that I the list didn't do it right. It was that I just played it wrong. My game five. First off, I'm going to also mention Dale Bartz was very helpful to my tournament, this North Star. After I played my first two games, we had a conversation about, well, what, what should you do with this list and how can you make it work better? And and Dale was like, well, it really looks like you've, you need some support with your mammoths. So you should send it in with the Chaos Knights and try and get every combat with that together. And, you know, that simple piece of advice, and I, I had been trying to do it, but I didn't think consciously about trying to do it, that really made the tournament a lot more effective for me. And I was able to use Stompy a lot better. In particular, my game against Rick Eubler, 
which was my fifth game. He was playing High Elf Coven of Light list. That was very, very helpful. We were on opposite sides. He castled on the left side. And basically, I just kept running everything forward until it hit stuff. So the, so the Coven of Light list, basically, you have as many light wizards as possible in the list. And there's a spell called Banishment. Banishment is a strength three spell plus one strength for every other light wizard within 12 inches. So he had a level four, he had a level two, a second level two, and then his BSB was also a level one. So he was casting strength seven banishments on Stompy, and Stompy was toughness seven. So he just kept banishing, banishing. I could take off one, I could stop one banishment per turn, but I couldn't stop two. And I just kept gatewaying his unit of white lions, which is where his level four and his BSB were. And I eventually managed to take out the unit of white lions down to one guy. He managed to put enough wounds onto Stompy that he only lasted one round of combat. But Stompy was able to put enough wounds on the high elves that the chaos knights could come in and mop up the rest of the damage. And it really ended up being that he just didn't have enough chaff to stall me long enough to kill Stompy outside of combat. And I ended up running him off the board and... It was a really fun game. Rick was probably my easily my favorite opponent of the day of the the tournament, and it was a great game to end up playing. And I'm really glad I didn't get a game against the same list the night before because it would have been kind of frustrating to play the same list twice. Not only frustrating, but he might have actually learned from his mistakes and given you a tournament walloping rather than you getting a tournament whooping. Exactly. So I have to say, after playing this tournament, I really enjoyed playing Stompy at Screw City. But losing basically all five of my games, save for one re-roll, was just not that fun of a grand tournament. Like, it was enjoyable because I got to hang around with a lot of my friends. But finishing with three wins and two losses with this list, and actually figuring out a decent amount of how to play with Stompy, that felt really, really good. And especially there was one situation where I was playing against Travis Winter, where I executed a flee through impassable terrain and your opponent pursues you and has to stop he was playing a frenzied corsair unit which set up a flank charge for my chaos knights which allowed me to take out the last threat on the board where i honestly just felt like wow i'm actually playing a tactical game i set up something that my opponent could not beat me at and he lost simply because i played tactically well and to have that happen at a tournament in any situation is really satisfying but to be able to know that I did that with the Mammoth and was able to end up winning that game just made me feel really happy about how I was doing with this list. And the simple fact that I knew, rocking up to every table, that no one had ever played this list before was also immensely satisfying. I knew I was going to lose Stompy in every game, which I did. I lost him seven times this weekend. A new record. A new record. But it was a lot of fun to play the games, and everybody got to play against the model they've never played against before. A lot of people really just enjoyed looking at the Tomercon book. I had no idea how many people had never seen the book before. So it was really, really fun. I ended up only with 50 out of 100 battle points, but I was pretty happy with 50 out of 100 battle points with my list. That's still more than I had. So I, I wasn't going to mention it, <laughs> but I, I had a really good time, and everybody at that tournament knew who I was because I was playing with the mammoth. That was cool. People were coming up and asking me, oh, how'd the mammoth do? Figuring out how many times I had been killed. It was it was a really good time. So there you go. There's my review of North Star. Yeah, I, I, I'll say, I mean, it's anybody that's got the opportunity, this is definitely a tournament to go to. Yes. It's definitely a really good time. 
The venue is nice. The terrain was amazing. Mm-hmm. And the that being said, there, I was I really <laughs> I had so little time to focus on trying to play to build my army, to mm-hmm. practice my army and prep for the tournament mm-hmm. that it drastically impacted the fun I was able to have at the table. I, I really, it, yeah. I, I never felt like in any game I was playing that I had a good solid chance after the first couple of losses. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I don't have, I don't have the tools on the table to win with. And, and it was very evident to not to me that I didn't. And that really, not only did I not have the tools to win with, but my tools were so far behind the eight ball that it was a real struggle. It was a, and, and it, it did end up being like that was why the the round my round four against Andrew was such a high point because that was the first game and probably the only game all weekend mm-hmm. where it was really, really a tactical game where there was real thought and decision made. How do I keep enough stuff alive so I have enough to get to the soft, well, I shouldn't say it's soft, but the Saurus-y center of the lizards. <laughs> my my game against the Dark Elves, game five, was another fairly tactical game, but the rest of it, the day one games, were just, I was either so far outmatched in the list, or I was so far over the skill level that mm-hmm. it, it didn't it didn't matter, it, and so it, it took away. I mean, that, that was a big learning thing, because I'd never been to an event where I, I think my list was so Just overmatched subpar. so so yeah. subpar mm-hmm. that it, to the point where it wasn't and it did take away from my enjoyment of the mm-hmm. event and that was like I said no nothing against the event I really that was that's that's on me that's yeah. that's my fault but on top of it being so close to mayhem yeah. it was really hard to focus on the games and whatever and the whole time like I said I was really in the why I should have just stayed home cuz well, this was mm-hmm. This was I should I could I could have used I could have been doing this I have all these terrain projects that I was work I need to work on yeah and that's 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 neither here nor there anybody that's anybody that's in the Wisconsin Minnesota Illinois area I definitely recommend take the time go to this event it's a great event trains great the guys that are running it are good people mm-hmm. good time yeah it's good it should be a good time for anyone that goes and now it's time for a break a break yeah we take a break now okay. What what what's that place? The last the last circle, the the last triangle. No wait, the last square. That's what it is. The last square located on Odana Road. Have you been there? Yeah, yeah. They have the huge selection of miniatures. Everything from five millimeter scale all the way up to twenty five, twenty eight. Everything you could imagine. Yeah, it's the basically the war game store of Madison, Wisconsin, with every wargaming need you can just about imagine or think you wanted and a lot of things you didn't even know you wanted. Exactly. They also have model railroads and rockets. All sorts of good stuff for the geek in ya. All right. And if you can't get to the square, you can always check them out on their website, thelastsquare.com. Exactly. And now it's time for... Coonsies Okay, so today on the Conzie's rant, we're going to go ahead and I want to just make a point of, since we talked about armies earlier and what you got to do to buy an army, I want to, this is kind of directed at new players, but it can be for older players too. A lot of people make a big deal about the price tag on miniatures. And it really isn't the price tag of the miniatures that's the big deal. It's more of what you're comfortable spending. Mm-hmm. 
I don't want to. I mean, we're all miniatures gamers. Like, I, I don't think we're going to have a whole lot of new people that are listening to this episode, but that just never bought an army before. But I, I certainly the price tag of miniatures. It's always been a complaint, and I, and, I, and I'm just I'm just as quick to grumble about the price tag on figs as, as the next guy. But at the end of the day, the folks uh, that play these games, play miniatures games, the price tag isn't isn't the important thing. Mm-hmm. It is the idea of putting something really cool that you're very happy with and very appreciative of of being able to put it on the table and getting a certain amount of self satisfaction about. So please, if you're if you're thinking about you know making that new model purchase, don't do it necessarily from the oh this is going to cost me fifty dollars or a hundred dollars to be able to buy this model or set of models, but more so on. How is that going to look on the table with my rest of my stuff? Is it worth that investment? Mm-hmm. And if it is, do it. I mean, and if if it's not, or if it's not, then that's that's okay too. But uh, it is try not try not to to let that price tag of the models be the the thing that dictates your ability to put an army on the table or to put a project on the table that meets what you wanted it to be, what you ultimately wanted it to look like. Mm-hmm. Take the time. Maybe if you've got, you got to save up a little extra cash, take the time to do so just to be able to get that purchase because at the end of the day, that's really what ultimately your enjoy, your own self-enjoyment of your hobby is really what you want to put into it, not, and it shouldn't be what the dollar price would take was on the project. To paraphrase Yoda, buy or buy not. Do not complain. Well, you can still complain. <laughs> Gonzi will still complain. I will still complain. All right. And that was Gonzi's Rant. Okay. All right. And then we got our hobby and gaming goals for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, we actually got to probably set some. Well, I got terrain i need to finish yeah that's your goal got it i had a lot of terrain to finish yeah by the time the next episode is recorded merry mayhem will be going on we'll have finished day one of mayhem actually all right so we'll be we're wrapping up anyways but uh yeah my goal will be to complete i got a couple of tables of train i got a paint plus existing i think about a dozen projects downstairs that are in the works cool so there'll be a lot of terrain to work on Maybe I'll get some work done on the Sphinx. I'd really love to be able to get some work done on the Sphinx. I'd really love to get get my War Sphinx, my first War Sphinx, to the point where I could have it glued to the base. Mm-hmm. That probably won't get done. <laughs> but that that would be if I... I mean, it is. I do have a holiday weekend here where I'll have four days off, and I've got the rest of this weekend. Yep. So we'll see. For me, I'm not sure. I'm kind of still trying to decide... I'm either going to try and repaint the skin on my ogres, which would be a big project, but I have a five-day weekend to do it with, so that could potentially happen, or I'm going to start working on my spiders, or I'm going to keep working on sp- on Stompy. I'm kind of up in the air as to which one I want to do, so we'll see. I'll let you know on the next episode. However, whichever one I want to do, I would like to at least get the fur done on Stompy if I'm going to work on him. I would like to at least have three models done on my spider riders if I start them. And I definitely want to have all the skin done on my ogres because it'll look stupid without all the skin done on my ogres if I work on them. So there you go. Those are my hobby and gaming goals, one of three. 
Yeah, and I guess gaming wise, I just want to survive mayhem. <laughs> That's going to be that is it is the biggest e- biggest event I've ever put on mm-hmm. this year. It's the biggest Warhammer Fantasy tournament I've ever run. Yep. So I've got a I've got a lot of personal expectations, mm-hmm. and I, I just want to make I just want to pull it off and and hopefully help everybody have a good time. Fair enough. Also, you know, Santa's going to be a little bit skinnier this year. Yeah, no, I don't know that's going to go over. I don't know if Santa's actually going to be oh, at Mayhem this year. Oh, no. Santa's got to be there. Santa Santa doesn't have a costume, so. Oh, Santa. He doesn't fit into his Santa jacket, so. <laughs> oh. So I, I, I don't know that Santa will actually be at Mayhem this year. Oh, okay. Sad so. panda. Yeah, whatever. All right. I'm not going to lose any sleep over. Let's put it that way. <laughs> We'll still have the Marines there. That's good enough. All right. So what did we talk about today? We talked about the North Star GT. And we also talked about, you know, kind of the th- some of our, our initial thoughts on what it takes to put together an army for a first from time scratch, player. especially yeah. for the first time. Uh, but also from, you know, I think there's some thoughts that were valuable in that for those of us that already have maybe our fourth or fifth or sixth or tenth army. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, 20th. So how do you contact the show hosts? Well, you can find us on iTunes, right? Yeah, you can find the show on iTunes, Blackberry Podcast, or Stitcher Smart Radio right now. You can find us on website, www.wiscodice.com. There is no W's. Or just wiscodice.com. You can use the W's, but it's just extra typing. It's a waste of time. All right. Or you can find Wiscodice.com. us on wiscodice.com. Yep, and then you can use our forums as well to go ahead and chat with us. You can leave comments via our gallery and all our gallery pictures right now. Correct. Hopefully... Sometime early next year, we'll be doing some additional site enhancements. Cool. So, or you can like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group. Thank you again for reaching 100 likes. Yay! Yeah. Stay tuned. Sometime early next year, we'll have our next major Wisco Dice <laughs> contest. I ain't promising nothing. You can promise all you want. I'm the one who got us into this mess to begin with, so I'm not promising nothing. I don't know. I think it was a great little contest. <laughs> it might have taken forever long. to get there, but. <laughs> I remember being taunted at Blood in the Sun that we hadn't gotten 100 Facebook likes yet. <laughs> yeah, but we did it. Yeah, but we did it. We have succeeded in climbing our Everest. So. Or you can follow us on Twitter at Wisco Dice. That's me. Or at Dugan Brideax. Or you can find us on Google Plus, Wisco Dice at gmail.com. Yep. Or you mm-hmm. can email us at hosts at Wisco Dice.com. Yep. You can always email us at hosts at Wisco Dice.com. Correct. You can go ahead and. Catch us, uh, catch either of us on our own personal accounts. Just go ahead and check the website for all the details. All of our contact information is listed there, as well as anything else that you might find. Our links page is pretty pretty productive and useful. All sorts of good stuff. So check it out. All right. Thank you for listening. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The Conzi. He's he's gonna get another punch in the face after this one. How do you do? You sneak out of the episode and not have me in it. Yes. 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 Yes, Master Paul. Yes. Yeah. I don't like you either. You're gonna get punched too. Oh, hey. Yes. This is not fair. Ow. (laughs) Yeah, that wasn't really good. Yeah. Guy caught me. Yeah. In the driveway after the last square episode. <laughs> it wasn't good. He gave you a, a, a going over, did he? <laughs> he gave me a black eye is what he gave me. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks a lot, folks. All right. Bye-bye. Peace out.